Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code program. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Monday, 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. A lot of people asking why all this pussyfooting around with Dublin, the state of the COVID-19 caseload up there. Why don't they just lock the blasted place down once and for all? would be a case of having to have the cajones to do it and I don't think they do but that's just me if you have any thoughts on us you know how to contact us and tomorrow we'll get the list of the various zone or the various statuses one to five grade one to grade five grade one none of us will be at just yet that's when the virus has practically gone grade two will be where we'd be at the moment grade five would be almost back into lockdown that's all coming tomorrow also we're keeping a watchful eye across the airport there's crisis discussions going on this very morning as to the future of cork airport which has been banjaxed by covid19 and everything to do with it so if we get anything from the airport in the course of the morning we we'll certainly bring it to you and also a very unusual request has come in to us from Natasha uh, she's looking for a busker <laughs> yes a particular busker so I'll read that one out for you and maybe you can help Natasha but first of all I want to go back to the leaving certs and back to the grades and the points and the allocation of places by the CEO because when on Friday when the offers started coming out around 2 o'clock some people were delighted they got their first choice some people were thrilled some people were not so thrilled and over the weekend, it just seems to have been an absolute calamity. People disappointed and upset all over the place. Now, quite a number, very happy. But a lot of disappointment in people who didn't expect to be let down. And then you had terribly sad stories, like the story of Abby. Uh, Abby, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? Um, first of all, my condolences on the passing of your ma'am. Thank you. Um. Tell me what's been happening with you. Um, well, obviously, I was waiting all year to get primary teaching up in Dublin. Um, I had over the points needed last year for primary teaching in Dublin, but um, I was confident enough, like all year, I was going to get it. Yeah. Um, but obviously then, like, with the predicted grade system, like, you know, I, I didn't realise the points were even going to go up that high. I thought maybe if they went up 10 points even in Dublin, I'd still get it. Um, but sure, obviously they went sky high. Um, and did so you get a place last year and defer, or what did you do? No, last year um, I had Dublin down on my CEO last year. But when my mum got sick, um, obviously I didn't know like how long um, I'd have with her, so I didn't want to be going to Dublin last year in case you know anything did happen during that time. So I took uh, Dublin off my CEO, and I only left down Limerick because I'm only about a half an hour away from Limerick. Right. Um, Charleville, aren't you? Yeah. Charleville, yeah. So yeah. then I just said, like, 
if I got the primary teaching, I'd be happy. And if not, then, you know, I'd try again, like, this year. Um, and obviously, like, when I saw that I had the points for Dublin, like, I was confident that I was going to get it this year. Um, because I think I had about 14 over the points that was needed for Marino. Right. And about six points over for DCU St. Pat's. So um, then the other day, obviously, when the offers came out, I didn't get primary teaching, but I got number eight on my list of offers, which was nursing in Cork. Right. Yeah. So tell me what happened. Your mum actually died during the exams last year, did she? Yeah. Um, Well, like, it wasn't as if I was prepared for it at all because, like, we only found out a few weeks before I started my exams that she was that that ill-like. Yeah. Um, that it had, you know, obviously progressed further. Um, and I started my, I had my English papers done and I started my math paper one on the Friday. And then um, Saturday we got a phone call to say that we had to go up to Marymount. So it was the Sunday then she passed away. Oh um, but obviously with the system that was put in place last year, I was able to take three days off for the funeral. Right. Um, so I had the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off. But then the following Monday, I had to go in for my chemistry paper and my music paper. So I only had a few days off after the funeral until I had to go in again. Right. And for the five exams that I missed during the three days off, I had to go to Athlone in July a month later um, to sit those five. Sit then. Yeah. 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 But like, the, I just... Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, I just don't understand like how like how it's fair that I was made sit those exams like after that and like this year everyone gets predicted grades like if I was given that option of course I would have taken it like And despite all of that last year despite all of what you went through you still managed to knock up 467 points which is a very good leaving cert Abby Yeah like I I didn't really I didn't expect it at all I was saying like I'd be happy if I passed everything you know Mm -hmm. but um, then obviously I got that so I I was over the moon like yeah. So, so you, you then said, look, you're going to take a year out, deal with far bigger things, um, yeah. and try and go back this year with the 467. So what have the courses gone up to now? Um, well, Marino, I think, is in 480s now. Right. Uh, it was 453. Um, the same with St. Pat's and uh, Mary I in Limerick has nearly gone to 500. It's like in the 490s as far as I know. Okay. So even if I did, like, reapply next year, there'd be no hope that I'd get it either, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. how do you feel? Hard done by? Yeah, I do. Like, I just feel like it's a very unfair system, like, and I know there's worse, like, I know there's people out there who, you know, have only been short one or two points for courses, like medicine and stuff, which is awful, like, and, um, like, I know a lot of people who've done PLC courses who can't even get offered a course this year either because the predicted grades like I just think it's it's not fair how the government like put the 2020 students before the 2019 students and we have actually set exams yeah and, you know like and I just think it's very unfair like I just feel like we weren't thought of uh, the students in previous years weren't thought of at all this year um, during the process of giving out offers and stuff yes so what what are you going to do do you think um, well, I've been thinking. Sorry, I've been thinking um, about the nursing. Like nursing was my backup option yeah. um, all along, and I did say like if I got nursing, 
you know, I wouldn't be upset over, like, I'd be happy to have a course and, like, I do think I'd enjoy the nursing, but obviously I would have preferred to get the teaching. I know. You know, but um, I will probably take the nursing because I don't think there's any hope now of getting teaching further along the line, you know, not for another few years anyway, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, it's not, like, it's not what you wanted, but you'll do it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would, I really would have preferred the primary teaching. Like, that's really what I was hoping for the past two years, you know. Mm -hmm. And, like, even at school, I tried, like, I got grinds in Irish and everything. Like, I really tried my best, like, to get the, all the required, like, the requirements for it. Yes. Um, And, like, if I didn't have to go through what I did last year during my leaving cert, like, so I probably would have gotten over to four, six, seven and gotten the points. Listen, for what you went through, that was a magnificent achievement, Abby. Do you know, yeah. it really was, it really was. Yeah. So, uh, so you're going I thought to, really uh, the nursing, like you know, I, I like I, it's not that I'm up, like disappointed with the nursing, but obviously I would have been a lot happier with the teaching. Well, teaching is what you wanted. Yeah, yeah. So you'd applied to the two big teaching colleges, and last year you'd have qualified handy, as they say. Yeah. And not yeah. this year. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to have you have you you have until Wednesday, isn't it, to accept the nursing? Yeah. You're going to do that. Yeah, I think I will. Like, I just don't see how I'll get the teaching. Like, and mm. even in the round two offers on Friday, like because the points have gone up so high, like I I wouldn't like I'd be short like twenty points now as opposed to six yeah. for area. Well, you know, don't like, don't don't give up on it. Yeah. Don't give up on it. There's someone here suggesting that you appeal directly to Mary I on compassionate grounds. I don't know how you would go about doing that, but someone on the phone seems to think it can be done. Abby, it's terribly sad. And again, for the third time, I mean, that was a magnificent leaving cert to turn over, given what you were going through at the time, you know? Thanks. Yeah, thank you. What was your mum's name? Alison. Alison. Yeah. And you were great pals, weren't you? We were, yeah. yeah. We used to be like sisters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Well, look, you know, this is going to sound some some people will laugh at me for saying this, but but talk to your mum. Yeah. Talk to your mum. She'll guide you through this. You know that. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, exactly. All right, Abby. Take care of yourself. Thank you. And good luck with whatever you do choose to do. Take care. 1850-715-996. That was a magnificent leaving search to put down in the middle of what she was going through and then to find herself cut short this year because all the points have gone up and she's not the only one going through that she really is not the only one going through that there's people up and down the country desperately disappointed with what happened when the computer got a hold of everything now what are your options what can you do if you're not happy we've been exploring that next for 20 minutes of the best music mix and everything Cork on Cork's 96FM check out new music all this week from the likes of Joel Corey and Cork band True Tides we hear from the stars here's Gaga I love you stay safe and I might sound like a broken record but wear a mask did you know Ed Sheeran not a big fan of TV you know I'm not a big TV watcher I kind of like if it's on I watch it on air online and on your smart speaker and Tobin weekdays from midday with the White Rabbit Bar and Barbecue a brand new look with the same great food and service see whiterabbit.ie Quartz 96 FM
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. On top of all of that, now we're hearing the CEO system is down this morning. Frozen. Can't be used. They want people to accept their offers by Wednesday, but first thing Monday morning, it's gone. Gone down. We'll let you know if it comes back or if they can do anything about it. But adding insult to injury, the system has crashed this morning. 1857-15996. What would you do though? Who do you turn to for advice if you're in a situation like Abby finds herself or many others? this morning, you know, it's not gone quite as well as you wanted it to you're confused, you're in a bad place who do you reach out to, who do you ask for help, what help is there I've been talking to Pamela O'Leary she's a guidance counsellor and transition year coordinator with Cork Educate Together secondary level, and we've been chatting about what people's options are Pamela, thank you for taking my call, as a guidance counsellor every year year the people that the, the Leaving Cert students come to when, when they've queries about their future. But this is a year like no other. So you'll be getting queries like you never got before. The last few days has been traumatic for a lot of people, hasn't it? Yes. It's been really disappointing for a lot of people. Um, but I feel like we need to balance that with, with the fact that 80% of Level 8 offers were made to students in their top three choices and 90% of Level 7 courses were made for students in their first preference. So, you know, like, yes, we have disappointed students, but we also have a lot of students getting their first-round offers Mm. also. We have students very disappointed, though. I I guess we have them every year. But, you know, going on your experience, have we more or less the amount of disappointment and shock that we would have any other year? I suppose it's it's hard to tell at this early stage. I mean, I would say it's around the same amount for me, but like it's only been two days um, and the, the volume hasn't changed, I think. But um, I suppose the circumstances have changed. They're a little bit different and the advice that we have to give is also changing. So it probably feels a little bit different this year. Now, for people who didn't get a course offer, uh, there'll be a number of of different roads they can possibly go down, one being doing the written exam, which we think is November. That's correct. And the 16th of November for sitting exams, they're they're meant to be commencing then. then, And I think it's subject to public health advice, and that's a whole other hurdle that students have to jump over. Um, So they're written exams only, no orals or practicals. And what students can do is that they can apply to sit exams in, in the ones that they want. So they don't have to sit all of the exams. They can sit some and then they can mix. So if they've got some calculated grades that they're happy with and then they want to sit some exams, then they can do so and mix both. Oh, so if they were disappointed in a the subject, they've yes. an opportunity to improve. Absolutely, yeah. So if they were disappointed in their maths, for example, and they really wanted to sit that again, they can sit that. Now, the only thing that I will say is that the, the big change is that they obviously won't be able to apply for college in 2020. Yeah. It would be a deferred place. Even if they do bring up their points by sitting the exam, it'll be next year that they're going to college. Yeah. How do they go about applying for that? Uh, so they need to contact their school immediately and um, they need to uh, just contact the examinations officer in the school. I would recommend that they contact the guidance counsellor in their school by telephone or by email. Obviously, with the COVID restrictions, it's very difficult Mm. to meet in school at the moment. It's very restricted in numbers. So I would advise 
contacting the school and contacting the guidance counsellor or the examinations officer. No, there is an appeals process, but it's there difficult is. to appeal when there isn't an actual exam paper to read. Yeah. You've got to get access to your file and how your grades were calculated. Yes. Do you think a lot of people will challenge? Um, well, it's it's it, as you say, it's very different this year. It, it's there's, there's no paper to check. So it's how, how do you check if you have no paper? So what they're actually doing is just checking the system for errors rather than checking a paper for errors. So say, for example, it was calculated incorrectly or imported incorrectly by the teacher, then they can, they can do that. The only option they have really is to resit in November. There's no um, disputing a grade. That's not possible this year. But you can resit in November. That, that's the option. Um, whether so there's there no way more, to get your grade changed on a review, no? No, no, there isn't, no. Um, now, I do believe that there is a system for contacting the ombudsman if you're unhappy, but at the moment, the advice we've been given by the department is that they can only resit the exam in November if they're unhappy. What other options are there? And we look, when I did my leaving cert, and it's not today nor yesterday, you know, my options were repeat pretty much if I wasn't yeah. happy. Nowadays, yeah. there's a myriad of options open to there young are. people. There are. And repeating is actually one of the last options I would personally give a student. And now it does depend on the student, and sometimes this option does suit some people. But the first option I would probably give to most students if they aren't aware, there is something in the CAO called Available Places. And this is an extra kind of special option where colleges that might have new courses or extra places advertise those places on the CAO website. Now, say, for example, you apply for Arts in UCC and you don't get the points or you don't get it on mm. your first round offer. Mm. What you can do is you can check the CAO and see if there's available places in arts in other colleges. And sometimes, I checked this morning, and there are a lot of places available in the Available Places option. So that's number one. Number two, a lot of students think about the UK and Northern Ireland and operating the UCAS system, which is a very attractive option for some students, or the European options through UNICAS. They might decide to go to a university in Europe. Mm. Um, They can do that. And then the the other option that I think is is really the gem of an option that a lot of students don't consider, but I do recommend it, is a post-leaving cert course. We have fantastic post-leaving cert colleges in Cork City. We have Cork College of Commerce, St. John's, and Colossus Giovannefa. And there are um, dozens of courses, aren't there? Yes, there are dozens of courses. And I would say that the, the, the students that I've sent to PLC courses, the response and the progression has been resoundingly positive. They've done really, really well. And you can progress on to college once you, you know, do your exams and things like that. Um, you can progress then onto your uh, course of choice not through the CAO system, but through the college's oh. progression scheme. So it's like an so, alternative approach, if it were. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's an alternative approach. Um, a lot of students don't consider it because maybe they don't know the types of courses that are available, but there's there's literally hundreds of different options and it's been very successful for a lot of my students and actually even even a better option for them than starting university maybe at 18 years of age. Yeah. I imagine a lot of people, like you said, a, a huge number got their their offer and we'd all be thrilled for them but there'd be a lot of people Pam who may have shed a few tears over the weekend and might be a little bit panicky and there might have been arguments in the house and there might have mm-hmm. been you know it, it, it could have been a very uncomfortable weekend in, in, in some homes what would you advise people? Okay well I do understand that and it's completely understandable that that might have occurred but I suppose now that people have absorbed the shock had it had it time to sit down and talk about it and maybe even argue about it, now is the time to think about the options and what are available. And for the young person in the middle of it, 
Um, you know, they need to know what all their options are and they need to explore each one. Um, usually the students that are very disappointed are the ones who put their eggs all in one basket and went for one course and wanted only that course and hadn't really explored other areas. Um, I like to tell students that they should have maybe four or five options and have research and be ready with all of those options. Now, luckily, there is support available for those types of students. Um, from f- all weekend and until Wednesday, which is the, f- the acceptance of the offers on Wednesday, there's a Leaving Search helpline that I would recommend mm-hmm. that they call. And I have the number, PJ, if you'd like it. Yeah, go ahead, please. It's the, it's run by the National Parents Council and it's 1-800-265-165. Okay, and 1-800-265-165. Uh, okay. And there's some very helpful advice. I suppose information and research and talking to people and getting support is the most important thing and not to overreact or react and just accept a course maybe that you really don't want. That That's, you know, that's the last option really. Just think you have till Wednesday and talk to as many experts as you possibly can. And you know, for parents who just want the best for the student, yeah. what advice yeah. would you give parents? Um, there's a certain amount, I suppose, of support that parents can give, but also I suppose the student is, needs to develop their own agency within it. And I suppose giving them room and space to think and going through the options with them. But like, I suppose at times of stress, you can you can kind of over-involve yourself as well. And I, I wouldn't recommend that. Mm. I would recommend giving them the time and space, maybe giving them the helpline number and put on the kettle, yeah. <laughs> a few hugs and just, you know, just try, try and talk through it. But like mm. them owning the decision themselves yeah. is the most important thing, I think. And... The support is there, the advice is there, and there are lots of options there. Yeah. Really lots of options. It's it's hard, I think, when you're when you're eighteen and confused and disappointed to be told that, you know, things have a habit of working themselves out in the long yeah. term. I know it is. And I, I've been there myself and, and I suppose the added the added part of this, PJ, is that like when I think of leaving search results today, I think of smiling faces and hugs and running down the school path yeah. and sometimes there is an arm around the shoulder because someone is disappointed but they're they're missing that this year that's missing so a lot a huge amount of empathy needs to be you know given to the class of 2020 they yeah. they weathered so much yes. you know and i think that's just giving them a lot of space a lot of advice um and yes they will be disappointed of course they will be but knowing that there's lots and lots of options you know they may not be happy in the moment, choosing yeah. maybe their second offer. But, you know, that's the way that it goes every year, regardless yeah. of pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just a, a very difficult time and a bit of guidance. And like you say, put the kettle on. It's probably the most productive yes. thing you can do sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. Your guidance counsellor as well in your school should be able to give you all the up-to-date advice. Round two offers, of course, are out on the 23rd of September. And sometimes students get their offer in the second round. Yeah. So... You know, don't give up hope just yet. Don't give up hope. Now, you do have to accept your first offer. You can still be offered a round two offer, even though you've accepted your first offer, because the deadline is Wednesday at 3 p.m., the 16th of September, to accept your first offer. Pamela, thanks very much for your time. No problems at all. Thanks, PJ. That's Pamela Leary. I spoke to her uh, last evening. And that helpline number, again, if you want it, is 1 800 265 165. That's operated by the National Parents Council. 1 800 265 165 if you need any advice. Lots of people 
uh, very taken with Abby's story. Heartbroken says this message. Is there more any humanity left in the system at all? Well, there's even less this year than there might ever have been, caller, because it was done by the computer. The computer decided what you got at the end of the day. The teachers sent up what they thought you should get. And then it was all put into the computer and the computer chewed it and spat it out and some people didn't get what they wanted. And Abby's situation is even harder. She got her points last year, held on to them. Obviously, a very traumatic year for, for her. Held on to her points for this year and now she's she has safely made it last year. But this year she's she's out of range. Why doesn't she go down the early years route, says Brenda? It would take a year or so longer, but it's available at UCC and CIT. There's also the Hibernia route. That's an online course to finish the qualification. Don't settle for what you don't want. Settle for what you're born for. A year isn't much extra in a lifetime of work. I'm sure there's many other options open to Abby. She has to accept the offer she's been given, though just to keep her in the system, which is the nursing in Cork, but perhaps there's other options she can consider. PJ, I know people who changed career in their 30s to primary teaching by doing the Hibernian course. If I have the name right, that's wishing Abby well. From Pat. And we've got all, having some messages in over the weekend about school bags and the size of school bags. This has been a thing for as long as I have breath in my body. And it's still a thing. We've still had parents contacting us and look at the size of that thing how are they supposed to carry that that and plenty more next 1850 the system we think remains frozen the CAO remains frozen ah yeah it's like everything in this country you know it, it works great absolutely marvellous lads it works brilliant <laughs> until you need it Corks 96 FM is now streaming even more music choice. More music choice. Check out the Hit Mix online for fresh new music. Keep on dancing like you ain't got a choice. And stream the all new Fit Mix for your workout. Listen on your phone and smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go, go, go to 96FM.ie. Corks 96 FM. A lot of sympathy out there for Abby. A lot of people suggesting that she doesn't make a rash choice and just jump on her her second option. Now, to be fair, she's got to accept it. She can always step out of it afterwards, but she's got to accept it right now just to stay in the system. But she doesn't really want to do it. She doesn't really want to do the nursing. I do the nursing, but I don't really want to do it. She wants to do the teaching. Georgie, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? Good. What did you want to say? Um, I was just calling in because I heard um, the lady talking about, you know, all the options that people have and to take second options and things like that. Yeah. I feel so bad for Abby as well. Her situation is terrible. Like, But I myself now, I'm in UCC. I'm studying nutritional sciences. Um, I'm in second year and I didn't get my points for my course. I was away off. Well, I wasn't away off. I was like seven points off my first choice. But I my, the points went up and... I kind of didn't have any option and I know that the lovely lady was saying that you know you could take your second option or you could do this you could do that but I think a lot of um, people forget about uh, post-leaving certificate courses yeah. and I think there is actually a lot of leaving certs that didn't get um, points for any of the courses they wanted yeah. and I think that that leaves people in a panic that leaves people thinking maybe I should redo the leaving cert 
And for me personally, I was never going to redo the Leaving Cert because it was a horrible year. Like, you know, it was it's a lot of stress to put on their students. And there's a post-Leaving Cert course for almost every course you want to get into, into university. Right. So if you were to take one year out, literally just one year of your life after your Leaving Cert, you could get into the course that you wanted. So yeah. I, I, I had one year into Colossus, Stefan Nefa and Cork. And to be honest, there is a, there's like some sort of stigma out there that teachers and parents don't really talk about is that there is almost a bit of shame going towards PLCs and there shouldn't be because it's just the one year to build up your skills and build yeah. up your knowledge into the course that you want to go into. So I, I, I'm in a course now that I never ever would have gotten the points for. It was about 150 more points than I would have gotten in my actual leaving cert. And what and PLC did you do, Georgie? Uh, so I did a PLC in um, biological sciences, okay. food and food nutritional biological sciences in Colosse de Stefan. And how did you choose that? Like what, what did you? Well, to be honest, I sat down with my dad after I got my points and I was absolutely gutted and I didn't know where I was going from there. I thought all my friends are going to college. I'm going to be behind them. I thought maybe I'll repeat the leaving cert, but I thought I wasn't going to do any better the next year again. So. I, I kind of sat down with my dad and we just looked it up. We went on the internet and we looked up um, post-leaving cert courses and I was totally embarrassed about it. And looking back, it's so silly to think that I was so embarrassed about it. But And I didn't even consider it because I thought that it was so, you know, like below me. And then when I went in there, it was the best decision I ever made. It was one year um, of just hard work in there every day and then got my my um, got my certificate and then got into the course that I wanted to get into. Brilliant. I'm interested that you make that point though about how some people look at it as as a a lesser option. Are you you yourself felt a bit embarrassed by by doing a PLC? That's a hurdle we need to get over, isn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. I think that a lot of students look down on PLCs and I think that like even myself it's so silly but I was embarrassed to tell my friends, I was embarrassed to tell people what I was doing. And I think that looking back now, it was just one year of my life that I went and did the PLC and I will never ever regret that. And everything has a way of working things out because I originally wanted to do public health sciences in my leaving cert. And then as soon as I went in and did that food science degree in CSN, I realized, and I also went to the talks in UCC again the next year, you know, all the kind of introductory talks about the courses, and I realised that I would have absolutely hated public health sciences. But <laughs> well, look what you'd be look up, what you'd be dealing with now, Georgie. No, like I ended up public health, like you know. Yeah, it was exactly, and it was all statistics and things that I w- was actually terrible at in school, like statistics and maths and and all that, and I ended up loving the food side of things, and then cooking nutritional sciences, which wasn't originally on my uh, choices at all in my leaving search. Great. Well, listen, that's the best advertisement for PLCs that I've heard in a long time. (laughs) Thank you very much for your call, and I guess, you know, again, Abby has other options. She has to accept her place right now, but she can also change her mind on that one. Thanks very much, Georgie, for the call. 1850-715-996. Yeah, PLCs, there's dozens of them out there, and there's no shame in taking them. A lot of people, I've heard that before on the show. Oh, I couldn't be going into one of them courses. They're only for people who didn't make it. Absolutely nonsense. They're for people who didn't make it this year or for people who aren't quite sure what they want to do this year. 
and that's allowed. If there had been PLC courses around a few years ago, God knows where I'd have ended up. <laughs> You'd have been well rid of me. 1850-715-996. Mia's got a great story. A really, really positive story, Mia. Because you had a fairly rough year of it, didn't you? Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Hi. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I didn't really do this year because I was a bit sick. So this year I was delighted. Yeah. The, you, you like you were you were happy when they cancelled the event start, was it? Uh, yeah. When I passed my leave start this year, I was just very happy because you know I didn't do fifth year because I was a bit sick. You know. Um, what happened it, to you? Uh, in the summer of 2018, just before I went into fifth year, I was diagnosed with um, a rare childhood cancer. It's called osteosarcoma. Mm, okay. So, yeah, I was unable to go to school, obviously, because I was on chemo for the year. Right. What kind of cancer was that? Where was it? Um, it's osteosarcoma, so it's a type of bone cancer. Basically, it's just, it was just a, it was a tumour kind of in my knee and femur area. Right. So... And what did you have to do? What treatment did you have? Yeah, so I was on chemo for um, the year and I had to get an operation to remove the tumour. I had to a knee replacement and part of my femur replaced as well and metal bars put into my leg to oh. keep everything in place then. So, so you, you missed most of fifth year? Yeah, and then I had to, you know, ha- I was in a wheelchair for a bit as well. I couldn't really walk, so, you know, I had to have... You know, rehabilitation then as well to get movement back into my leg and after the operation so I really couldn't go to school yeah. but I, I like I really I really wanted to graduate in 2020 with all my class you know just yeah. I, I really wanted to do my leave insert so I did a bit of um, homeschooling myself and some teachers as well were really good to me in my school they helped me a lot you know, even when I was like very sick on chemo I used to just bring my books up to school and or books up to the hospital in the CUH and just like try my best to keep up with my studies. You were really dedicated, and and this was right through fifth year and then into sixth year. So when you heard earlier this year that the exams were not going to go ahead and that everything everything would be calculated, how did you feel about that? Um, I was kind of scared to be honest because you know I didn't do any exams in fifth year, obviously because I wasn't in school. So they didn't really have much data with staff of sixth year. And, you know, between everything that's going on, you know, I only spent about four or five months in a classroom in sixth year. So there wasn't much to, for teachers to go off, only my pre-results. And I hadn't had the whole, yeah. you know, the courses completed. And the good obviously. news is you got your first choice. Yeah, I was delighted. What did you get? MBIS um, and CIT, Business Information Systems. Fantastic. Fantastic. Were you you were obviously very happy with were you surprised? Oh, I was so surprised. I, I kept on refreshing my emails all morning, just my fingers crossed. I, I didn't know what to think. I like I didn't know if I was gonna get it or not. Yeah. And then it just popped up that I got it. I was like I was delighted. How many how many points was it, can you remember? Um it was three three five this year. Right. And yeah. how how many did you get in the predicted leaving? Um, in the leaving I got three five seven. Okay. Yeah, nice. you know, I, yeah, I was just amazed because, you know, as I said, I hadn't done fifth year, so I, I wasn't expecting that many points at all, but, you know. Well, brilliant, brilliant. And how? tell me, how is the leg now? How is it, I, the knee and all that? Are you, are you much better? 
Um, yeah, I'm more or less back to normal. I have most I have most of the range in my legs. I I still have to watch out for it for the rest of my life, you know, because the these operations last. You will have to get another one. Yeah. In, in your lifetime, but yeah, it's more or less back to normal. I just have to take care of it, really. All right. Okay. Well. <laughs> Looking forward to the next few years now with CIT and your BIS. I'm, I'm delighted for you, Mia. I'm del- absolutely thrilled for you. And congratulations. Thanks very much. Mind yourself. Take care now. 1850-715-996. She got cancer. A rare form of bone cancer when she was in fifth year. She missed most of fifth year. And then the exams got cancelled. They had little or nothing to go on for her because she hadn't been doing any exams or any assignments and stuff like that. But still, she got what she wanted, which is absolutely great. Great to hear. Great to hear. Kate says, anyone with a trade is making a fortune. A neighbour was looking for a job and the guy she was dealing with said he'd no availability until Christmas. Yeah, I have been hearing over the last while that tradespeople are very, very thin on the ground at the moment. They're very, very busy, which is great to see. Great to see. A bit of work going on at Coogan Towers at the moment. I'm, I'm glad we got it booked in when we did, put it that way. Could you please find out how long can a potential student hold off after accepting a course but hoping to get first choice within the five rounds this year before having to register and pay the fees, says Rachel. That's not one that I can answer, Rachel. Maybe you could try the helpline that Pam was giving us. 1-800-265-165. 1-800-265-165. Chris, what would you like to say? Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you getting on? Some um, thoughts on this. Just listening to what you were talking about earlier on there and listening to Pam and her great advice. And I think there's another option that people don't really think about um, for 17 and 18-year-olds. Um, just to maybe go and do some work, work, get some experience, maybe do a bit of travelling and uh, go back and apply when they're mature students. Yeah. So anything, anyone over 23 can apply to pretty much any course. You sit a thing called an MSAP. Um, there's some specific requirements, I think, for science-based courses. And then you can, you can go that way. Yeah. You know, though, when you're 17 or 18, 23 feels like a lifetime away. Very far away, yeah. Yeah, I get that. And, like, I mean, I'm not taking away from people who've worked really hard and gotten really good results, but I think for some people, the leaving search just doesn't yeah. doesn't suit the way their, their brains work or their minds work. And yeah. um, that was very much the way it was for me. Was it? And, yeah, I mean, I got around 100 points in my leaving cert. Right. And went, I was just, I was already working, to be honest, so... I was already working in bars and restaurants and went and worked and travelled around the world and then went back when I was 23 and got a first in my degree, got yes, a first in my master's and was accepted onto a PhD course. So yeah. there are other ways in, you know. Yeah, that couple of years gives you a bit of experience in life and... Yeah, exactly. Settles you down a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You reckon, I mean, you make that point here, you reckon we rush kids into making decisions? Yeah, I think so. I mean... The pressure that's put on 17 and 18 year olds, I think, is a bit extreme. I mean, trying to decide what you want to do when you're that age, you know, you're making lifelong decisions, really. Or at least I think it's made to feel like it's a lifelong decision. Mm. But, you, I mean, you've already said somebody else called in and talked about changing courses. Like if you do a primary degree in something like arts, for example, mm. you're open to doing anything really after that. Once you have that primary degree, if it's not too specialised, or even if it is quite specialised, mm. 
you've yeah. got other options then. So for the, the girl that was talking about doing teaching, yeah. I mean, she could do a primary degree in something and then still go on to do teaching immediately afterwards, really. Yeah, because she going in, I think nursing is what they've offered her now. Yeah. So she's 18, I think. So she'd be 22, going on 23, coming out of that. So yeah. she could quite easily go and do something else afterwards. They That's another, that. another I mean, option. By the time she's that age, it might be something completely different she wants to do, you know? Absolutely. And, and which was the case, I think, with someone else I spoke to with... Um, uh, who else did I talk to? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, uh, Georgie, who changed her mind completely when she went to a PLC course and is now doing something else entirely. Yeah. So mind, I mean, minds can change. Yeah, and this, the system suits some people, but it also just doesn't work for other people. Yeah. And, you know, it needs, to be, it needs to be remembered that there are people out there who who didn't get points that they might have deserved or, or didn't get great points, but that's okay. There are other or other ways of doing it. I think I just caught the tail end of you talking about it. Yeah, that's what it is. A lot of people try to deal with some level of disappointment this morning, and the system, because of such incredible change this year, has thrown out all kinds of results for people. Listen, Chris, thanks very much. Uh, Tabletop, the cafe is unfortunately gone, is it? Yeah, unfortunately, the Castle Street Cafe won't be reopening. Uh, COVID's done that in. But we are opening Bantry in the bar, and... uh, we're doing well. We just had a great summer. We're getting ready for the winter. We just had a great night out last night with all the staff in, in Leaves and Bally de Hops for some great Mexican food. So, Remind, remind us again what the pub is called. Uh, West. West. Okay. High Street Bantry. All right. Look after yourself, Chris. Good to talk to you. That's Chris Heinhold. 1850-715-996. Totally reinvented himself after a leave insert that wasn't as, as good as he'd like it to have been. Uh, Sheila's in Mallow. My son had to do a post-leaving cert in Clonster Stefanefa as after the death of his brother uprooted his life and his school exams. It opened all kinds of doors for him. Led him to doing an EMT course in the Irish Ambulance Institute in Galway. That qualified him for a level 8 pre-med in UCC. It was a struggle at first and disappointed, but he's 23 now and mature enough to handle the studies. Youth is on their side and there are ways into it. feel sorry for Abby, but please try to stay positive. Am I going to go to Eleanor? Total change of tack here. Eleanor's contacted us from the Glen. What's been happening, Eleanor? Good morning. Uh, hi, how are you, PJ? Uh, nice to hear from you. Um, listen, uh, I basically rang in um, about uh, rockets, antisocial behaviour going on in Comer Park in the Glen at the moment. Now, I know it's going on in other areas, but basically what's happening is, um, I don't know if they're young or if they're old, but they're firing rockets um, over the houses at night. It's starting about half nine at night. It can go on for about 40 minutes or so, and mm. then it'll stop. Fireworks? You know, the fireworks. They're like, um, I wouldn't say, they're like the, the fireworks you'd hear, uh, you know, like uh, New Year's Eve, or, you know, that they sound like um, rockets, to nice. be quite honest with you. Um, we found a stick where they sit on one night. Um, a couple of nights ago, a rocket was fired, and it hit an elderly lady's window, kitchen window. And thank God it didn't break the window or it yeah. didn't go into any of the cars um, in the driveway. Uh, she's 78 years of age. Um, she had to be taken out of the area that night for her for her own peace of mind and yeah. for so that she could get some rest. Um, we called the Gardaí, which were lovely. They responded. Uh, the two Gardaí that responded were absolutely lovely. I couldn't fault them in any way, shape or form. They had been patrolling the area. They had got phone calls already about the rockets being fired that particular night. 
Right. Um, it had been going on the night before for about 40 minutes and this particular night that the, the rocket had hit the window the I had just been getting into bed and next of all um, I heard you know that kind of whistling sound that goes off before the rocket yeah. goes off that yeah. whistling yeah that kind of shush sound um, my dog went crazy again uh, under the bed uh, trying to get behind couches the whole lot and so I said I'd close the bedroom windows because I'd been sleeping with the bedroom windows open so I'd close the bedroom windows thought it might deaden the sound a small bit next of all there was an almighty explosion um, a flash of light I thought the windows were going to come in uh, around us uh, I ran to the front of the house thinking that there, a car had exploded or something outside in, in, in the park. Mm. When I got out, the smoke that was in the area was unreal. And it's then that we realised that the rocket had hit the, uh, the, the window, the, the kitchen window of my neighbour's house. Um, the they had, the Gardaí were on patrol already in the area because when we had phoned the Gardaí, they had said they had already got phone calls from people up in um, another park up above us. They'd be up in a height above us. So what what happened was they aimed the rocket down towards, I know I'm not saying they aimed it towards the houses or anything, I'm not saying that, but what they had done was they had aimed the rocket down. Yes. They didn't aim it up into the sky, they aimed it down. And so, I think you said, was it to Fergal you were talking, you, you, they're launched, yeah. you think, from Errigal Heights? Yes. Down yes. into the valley, because Comera yeah, Park is so there, Langerton Eri- is there. Yeah, so there's Errigal Heights, there's a little bit, there's a, a lovely kind of a, a big bank of green uh, where the old flats used to be years ago. Oh, yeah. Then there's the main road, and then you come into Comera Park then there in that area. So what happened was they had been up there, which uh, we had been told that that's where they had been launching the rockets from. So what they had done was they had aimed it down. Now, I don't know what they were aiming at. I am not saying that they were aiming at any one or any houses or anything in particular, but they had aimed it down. Now, when they aimed it down, uh, the rockets obviously veered off and hit my neighbour's window. Yeah. Um, the smoke, as I said, was unreal. We could still smell the smouldering and the burning, so we didn't know. I know I don't know much about rockets. And like you said, if it had broken the window or gone into a wheelie bin or anything. Exactly, and th- there are cars in that in our car, particular yeah. block. There are cars in the driveway. So if it had even hit the hit a car, if it had gone into the car or anything, it would have gone up in smoke. So do the, the guardy know who's doing it, Eleanor? Have they any they, idea who's doing I, it? I don't think they know who's doing it. Now, obviously, there are people in the area who know who they are. Now, I, they, obviously, because they are afraid of retaliation or they don't want to get involved. And, and I understand that. I, un, I actually understand it. But there are sometimes you just have to say enough is enough. Yeah. And stand up and say, look, this is it. If they even dropped a quiet word to the guardy saying, look, listen, you know, check out Joe Blogs from blah, blah, blah. Know, you know, you might know. find something. Do you, you know what I mean? So the thing is, no, last, uh, then the other, it's Saturday night, I actually messaged you. I was actually sitting inside my living room. I had the door open. It was a lovely, quiet evening. The weather was beautiful. The dog was snoring next to me. Um, and I was watching the television and next of all, the rockets started off again. Yeah. The dog went crazy. Um, Last night then, it was the same thing I thought, right, it's nice and peaceful, it's quiet, grand, no problem. Um, I was talking to a neighbour of mine and next of all, the rockets started firing off again and we actually ducked. It's getting to a point now where you duck because you don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. The I have lived and before anyone rings in and says, oh, this person is, you know, bringing shame on the Glen or whatever. I've lived in this area for 47 years. Yeah. I have grown up here. I know all my neighbours. They are the salt of the earth. 
there are decent, hard-working people in yeah. the area, and it's a small percentage that are causing the problems. Yeah. I have seen antisocial behaviour. Now, you get the generations coming up like we all did, broke a window while we were playing football, the whole lot, and we used to get killed by our neighbours. I understand all this, but the, the, in the last few years, the antisocial behaviour has turned nasty, dark, and violent. Dark, see, Eleanor, that's it, an unusual word to use. It, it, it's the only word I can describe because it is has turned nasty. It's turned dark and violent. Before, it used to be, um, if we did something wrong, we'd get a slap across the back of the head by the neighbour. You're going to tell, Mum, I got a hit by blah, blah, blah. And you, you were get told, another belt. For you get another <laughs> belt and you say, what did you do? Exactly. And we were raised by the block. And the thing was, we were raised by our neighbours. You couldn't put a foot out, of wrong, uh, foot out of place without getting caught because they knew what we were up to. But it was all kids' stuff. It there was, was all no harm innocent. in it. No, there was no harm in it. It, it might have been a broken window for a football going through the window or yeah. um, you might have said a bad word. Yeah. But if, <laughs> you, know, if you look at what, what happened in your neighbour's house the other night, like if yeah. that window had broken... Yes. Or, or exactly. God Almighty, if she'd been out the back doing something... Yeah. And it hit her. I see she has her own routine. She would have been in bed or she would have been just going to bed and she would have had her, her little cup of tea or her whatever and her little cigarette, maybe in the kitchen, Yeah, where it hit. She must have been petrified. She was petrified. Afraid of her life. Afraid of her life, exactly. And oh. this is going on. Now, she's not... You see, it's a nice mix of generation in... In, in, in the Cumber Park area. It's, yeah. it's a lovely it's a I lovely know some people up around there. Like, like you yeah. said, decent, decent, <laughs> on, honest to God, hard-working people. Great people. There are people that, I know when I go to bed tonight, um, and it, if they have any more left, uh, rockets left, um, I know around half nine, quarter to ten, whatever, this will start again. Yeah. Last night when I was going to bed, I was sitting out. I was having my last cup of tea. It was a lovely evening. I was sitting out in my backyard and the dog was next to me and I was having my cup of tea. And I said, right, I'll go to bed now in a few minutes. And next to all the rockets started. I just, I I was talking to my neighbour and we have a thing, like we we grew up with it. Neighbours talk over the wall. They do. We have a chat. We had everything. And next to all the rockets started and we ducked. Yeah. No, I mean... You, I mean, the, for a loud sound. That's like living in a war zone. Exactly. I mean, even the humans are ducking now. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, you know it. If you watch, I watched my dog the other night, and I knew before it started because oh. her ears were up. She was, she was on alert. Um, she couldn't rest. And next of all, as night follows days, next of all, suddenly bang. She'll hear or spot something before she, you there, do. There was something. She had. There was something know, obviously starting in the air that obviously we couldn't hear. And yeah. next of all, suddenly she went on the alert. And next of all, it started, and she went crazy. But that particular night, last night, I was sitting there, and I was there, and I said, "Right." And next of all, I was out in the backyard after speaking. We ducked, obviously. I could hear kids screaming. Yeah. Young children that had been asleep inside in their beds getting ready for school today and they woke up screaming in terror. Yeah. No, it's it's a you you paint a very grim picture. Someone's up to no good and needs to be caught. Yeah. Eleanor, listen, thank you very much. The time has caught me for no other reason than that. Uh, I I leave thank it you, there. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for taking my call. Thank Cheers. you. Delighted to do that. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM.
1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96, hashtag OL96. And of course, you can go to the Cork's 96FM Facebook page and uh, messages there and mark your messages if you could please for the attention of the opinion line reminded to you that Cork Culture Night happens this Friday the 18th with Cork's 96 FM you can connect through culture at over 60 venues across the city now this year a lot of the events are online but there are some live events uh, in some venues both indoor and outdoor from dancing to film to music to art to poetry and all sorts of historic tours and talks you can get in Involved, check out the social media pages, Cork Culture Night. They're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can check out the full programme on culturenightcork.ie. That's this Friday, Cork Culture Night 2020, with Cork's 96FM. Now, this morning, looking at the numbers of critical care beds available in the country, one would get very worried because we know that the numbers of COVID-19 cases are on the up, particularly and especially in Dublin. They seem to have a very serious surge underway in Dublin. We know that tomorrow we'll get this five-point plan for living with COVID until maybe next April or May. We reckon that we'll all be in what we call a level two situation come tomorrow. Dublin could be in level three, but that's not certain. And we have some tough months ahead. But what's particularly worrying is that this morning of 281 ICU beds in the country, 226 of them are presently occupied. The system seems to be coming under pressure again. We've spoken before with Dr. Catherine Motherway, who is president of the Intensive Care Society of Ireland. Dr. Motherway, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Those numbers look worrying, are they? Actually, the system is always under pressure. That would be a very normal figure for us with or without COVID. For our last two years that we published data, our occupancy in intensive care runs at above 88% nationally. And the busier units are running between 100 and 95% nationally. So the number of our intensive care beds has been worrying the intensive care community for the last 10, 15 years. So we have always had an issue, as you're now well aware, as the, as the, with the number of ICU beds we've had. Um, so we've always managed to manage our patients who are emergencies, but frequently we have elective patients or scheduled work which requires critical care, particularly in the winter, gets deferred or cancelled for the lack of ICU beds. So we've had a concern about our ICU beds for quite some time. Those numbers are, you know, are not surprising to us. They are what it is. Um, you know, there's, you know, we are worried, and we were worried at one point. Remember, of those beds, 160 of those beds were occupied with people with COVID disease mm-hmm. at the very beginning of this outset. For two or three weeks during the beginning of the pandemic, we had something between 60 and 90 admissions a week into our intensive care units, which was a significant problem. Mm-hmm. We're now seeing a small creep. It's not huge. It's yeah. a worry. So we'd like everyone to be careful and to mind themselves. One thing that's been pointed out many times, Doctor, is that there's a a lag of, it could be three to four weeks between the announcement of a number of cases, like say you had last night, 100 and something or 200 and something cases last night. There's a time lag, isn't there, between the announcement of the cases and how sick people actually get? Oh, there is. 
And of course, at the moment, the cases are much younger than we were getting in the beginning of the pandemic. So in the beginning of the pandemic, all of the patients that were actually getting swabbed and tested were sick. Now a number of these people are contacts and they're not sick and they're, they're, you know, they're maybe having asymptomatic carriage of the virus or they're much younger. So two thirds of these people, it would appear now, are less than the age of 45. While you can still get quite ill when you're younger, you are less likely to require hospitalisation and you are less likely to require critical care. That said, you can still transmit the virus um, and you can still occasionally get quite sick, so you'd prefer not to be having it if, you, if at all possible. And isn't this the really worrying thing, that you have so many people with very mild symptoms, thankfully for them, Indeed. But, but some of the symptoms are so mild that, that they're still carrying on their daily life they don't might even know that they have COVID-19 and they're spreading it to people who mightn't be so lucky indeed and so it is really important for that reason if you are a close contact and you're asked to go for a test that you go for the test and you go for the second test there's a significant number of people not going for those tests because they're feeling well but just because you're feeling well doesn't mean that you can't transmit it to someone for whom it might be a life and death diagnosis. For you, it may not be. But for uh, an older relative or somebody with an underlying disease who may not necessarily be that old, or for something as simple as having a bit of diabetes and hypertension, which many people in this country live with, um, a diagnosis of COVID-19 in that patient might be quite a different thing to yourself who's wandering around the place, but not even a sniffly nose, if you know what I mean. Those numbers, as you explained to me at the start, you know, they're fairly normal, but they also don't, they indicate that we have far too few ICU beds. We have far too few. We have less than half of the number per capita than the European norm. Germany have four times as many intensive care beds as we do. So, and the European, the United Kingdom, the United States have a lot more beds than we do. So, we have a lot less beds than we need, in our view, and we have communicated that to government and to the HSE. And the HSE, in fact, have communicated that to government in a number of reports over the last 15 years. Um, so, uh, what is required is investment in our infrastructure, both for normal beds and for critical care beds, because some of our times our problem is we can't get a patient out of ICU because there isn't a vacant bed for them. Uh, so, they have to stay with us until they have a bed available for them. So we need we need a, an expansion in beds and it would appear that there is some expansion coming down the line with this famous winter plan that they're um, suggesting that we'll all see, I think on Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm not sure mm. when we're going to see mm. it. But hopefully there will be, there has been some additional infrastructure and in, additional funding in fairness, but we need more. We need a really big expansion of critical care beds in this country. And, and isn't that the, the cause of the concern in that we have so little capacity in this, in the country's public health system we've so little capacity to take a second serious surge is what that's what has medics very nervous indeed we're all very nervous but as well as being nervous you can be proactive and by being proactive you can do the things you can avoid closed spaces avoid crowded spaces stay in the open air if at all possible and do the f- keeping your distance even when you're visiting your family just because they're your brother or your sister doesn't mean they don't have it so just keep your distance as much as you can in whatever circumstance you find yourself limit your social context it's what six I think now from three different house people that you can have in your house mm. you know that sort of thing is actually quite difficult if you have a large family as many of us do yeah. but that's what we need to do so if somebody else turns up you go hang on a minute I leave you come in and you know you need to and, and if you keep your distance and wash your hands and wear the mask it will help reduce transmission and to control the numbers and to let us all get back to some form of 
life, you know, we don't want mm. the place locked down again. Nobody, absolutely nobody wants that. I said, I want to go out for dinner. I want to be able to go occasionally for a social distance drink with, with, in a public house when they open them. I, you know, we all want to be able to do that. And it is going to be slightly different to what it was. We're not going to have big crowds around <laughs> the place. Fa- family gatherings over Christmas are going to have to be very carefully managed. They are. They are. I have a large family. We've decided that we won't be having it at Christmas. We'll have it midsummer next year. Really? We can't have 25 people in a small house. No. We always do, but we won't. No, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. So, that's a large extended family. So, 25, 30 people would normally be at our annual gathering, but won't be happening this year. But we'll all meet each other in appropriate circumstances. Yeah, and you'll be able to get a turkey and a pudding for next July. Just handy. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, always a pleasure to talk to you. I know you're very busy. Thank you very right, much. God bless. Cheers. Bye. That's Dr. Catherine Motherway, who is the president of the Intensive Care Society of Ireland. Um, yeah, hearing over the weekend that just someone out shopping around town, number of people coughing and not bothering to cover their face or not bothering to stick their head into the elbow and <coughs> cough that way. Just an awful lot of it. We're just not doing the simple things right. Wash the hands, wear the mask, cough properly, and keep your distance. It's not a guarantee, but it'll help. 1850-715-996. Cork's 96FM and Cork City Council present Culture Night Cork City. Friday, September 18th. Friday, September 18th. Connect through culture with free events, physical, online and hybrid in over 60 city venues. From dancing and film, music and art to theatre and literature. Venues across the city will open their doors, both virtually and in reality, for one night only. Including a live streamed performance from City Hall. Concert Hall with the Vanbrook Quartet for the entire family on Friday, September 18th only. See more on Facebook and Twitter at Cork City Arts or check out Culture Night Cork City on Instagram. Visit culturenightcork.ie for the full programme with Cork City Council, The Echo and Echo Live and Cork's 96FM. Coming up shortly, there was a march in Dublin at the weekend. It made the, the national television news a march, an anti-mask, anti-lockdown, COVID's all a hoax march. It's quite a big march, actually, in Dublin at the weekend. And uh, we have an eyewitness to, to tell us what went on. That's coming up in a while. But first of all, there's a documentary coming up on Virgin Media One tonight at uh, 10 o'clock on the impact that COVID has had in the country. And one of the uh, featured elements of it is a care home in Cork. That's Oak Lodge Nursing Home in Cloyne. Now they never had COVID among the residents but I think one or two of the staff did get it but it'll be an interesting insight into how the care sector dealt with this pandemic and Dermot O'Dolig is the gaffer at Oak Lodge. Dermot, good morning to you. Good morning PJ. Nice to talk to you. It must have been a frightening time for the sector. Uh, it certainly was and is still somewhat, I suppose we're all apprehensive uh, and on guard 
and trying to keep to all the strict regulations. But uh, the documentary certainly is a, a lovely human story about that fear, the frighteningness, uh, the threat, the challenges, I suppose, and then the hope and uh, how, how people survived with help of PPE and, and uh, many other elements uh, and people in the country like uh, Roku that is featured or Robert Quirk in, the, in a very inspirational figure in the documentary. Uh, so people, I suppose, in the frontline staff really to tribute to those, the frontline staff, and in our case to residents and families who who really um, pulled out all the stops to try to work together as a team to survive and get through what was a very, very challenging time. Take me back, Dermot, to day one and, and to how you sat down with your staff and your <coughs> colleagues and said, right, this thing is in the country, how do we stop it getting in here? Um... Uh, actually, I was off at the time when, uh, due to a family bereavement at the time when it when it uh, went into lockdown. Um, but we, our management team, Fair Play, had actually locked down in advance of the the national lockdown quite early, and immediately set about putting a contingency plan to look at all aspects of this. Uh, we have one of our guys there has uh, studied public health, and so he had a great understanding of it. One of our clinical nurse managers, and uh, they really put together a plan and that gave us, uh, when I got back from work, they had an awful lot of it in train. Um, from then we, we Zoom called uh, every day, um, pretty much our conference called every day uh, to look at everything possible that we could do to, to prevent coming in. We were hearing terribly frightening stories from, I suppose, from Dublin and from abroad, as you recall, the, the images on the news of of older people in nursing homes and we said uh, we have to do everything in our power uh, and leave no stone unturned to protect our residents here. And that's what we did. That's what all staff threw their, threw their ideas together. Uh, families gave ideas. Families are bringing in PPE long before it was available publicly. Um, and many, many others. We, uh, you know, we had a, a foot bat. We'll say, remembering back to the days of foot and mouth, we put a yeah. foot bat in, in place um, with different start times for all the staff. Staff stayed in their own unit. We gave them free lunches uh, in that unit so they wouldn't have to come out of it or in, at all, at all, uh, or ideally not uh, leave the premises and come back again. Uh, we provided, uh, if they needed a car or accommodation, Mm. if they needed to travel on their own or, or live on their own or anything like that. So we just tried to look at all the human sides of it and, and responded to to their needs and their concerns and they were worried about their families. And then when we had someone with a cough and a cold, uh, PJ, I remember the first uh, lady, uh, a resident who had, uh, you know, cold or a cough and uh, I said, oh my God, I could be COVID. I don't want to care for her. Um, how, how could I go home if I had it? So that was a, an extremely frightening time as well. And in response to that, okay, we, we looked at bringing in a competency assessment so that all staff would feel competent and confident in donning and doffing the PPE correctly. And we did that quite a number of times. We appointed a buddy system so they could uh, have someone to check it for them. And they slowly became far more confident. As it turned out, there was nothing to the cough or the cold, but it was a good, uh, useful exercise for us to learn from. Yeah, it it was a drill that needed to be learned by a lot of people. Get it on properly, take it off properly, dispose of it properly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and thank God no resident uh, got it. And while we had a 
couple of staff who who um, let's say tested positive, but it was merely uh, or let's say they were asymptomatic. We're not sure whether they had it or not, but we took all the precautions, followed all the guidelines. None of them had had really breached any of the guidelines, so it was unlikely that they had it. But nonetheless, we had to take everything into account. And with those uh, staff, it was it meant with proper PPE, they were confident and we were confident that none of our residents had got it, I suppose, or could get it. And if we keep that up to today, every day we do audits on a weekly and a daily basis to see that everyone's wearing the proper PPE, doing the basic hand washing. And it's about doing the basics and getting the basics right and keep doing that. How, how many, um, are, how were you fixed for PPE? Because there was, there was a huge shortage in a lot of the nursing homes. Uh, there was, and we uh, we didn't have any lines on PP at a very early stage. And we were saying, oh my God, what do we do? And the prices were climbing, and even if you asked, you couldn't get it for a month. So uh, we did some further research, and we came across this company, uh, Roku, uh, Robert Quirk, who was bringing it in direct from China, and we immediately ordered 70,000 uh, masks uh, from China. And that's how... That guy then, Robert Quirk, started, he said, we're actually doing a documentary on how this works and would you mind if we filmed the PP arriving at Oak Lodge Nursing Home in Klein? And we said, yeah, grand, we'd do anything really to uh, get the PPE. So uh, that's how, how we got involved in the documentary, a small little uh, background story. Um, so, yeah, the PPE has proved to be uh, highly uh, important and now the HSE for quite a length of time now have been supplying it and supplying it in plenty really to be fair uh, to them. It did take some time to iron out at the beginning and we were fearful but uh, luckily we had a a very strong supply line ourselves and we were able to help out other nursing homes and indeed others in the community uh, who needed masks as well once we we were assured we had plenty for our residents and to keep uh, families and residents safe. You must have breathed a large sigh of relief every time that you realised we have no cases. It would did you were you, are you able to relax at all in the midst of something like that? Um, I suppose to different degrees over time. You know, families uh, don't relax, staff don't relax at a level, uh, and we don't as management. And in a way, I suppose we hope that we take on whatever stresses uh, that might be there on behalf of uh, rest. They don't worry as much, or indeed family. So we're quite happy in that sense to take it and uh, to manage that and to convert it, if you if you like, into a, a positive action. And some people who did, who asked me or others, you know, at the time, you know, must be awful to be working and to be stressed like that. It was actually preferable for me. I felt to be working and to be able to. It was a privilege to do something good each day or to try to at least that might help to prevent uh, someone else from getting sick so uh, I suppose Flexibility is great that's why there's yoga Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. That was the, the position we found ourselves in, and, and as a team, we worked very closely and, and really gelled as far as it worked. Uh, found ourselves, you know, with a little mini celebration, or, you know, yeah. there were moments of joy and, and fun afterwards and all that. Um, and we still worked closely together uh, to try every day and to update our, our progress and to update our uh, contingency mm. plans. You mentioned that the lockdown in the nursing homes came earlier than, than the national lockdown and there was a bit of disagreement about it at the time I seem to think or seem to remember between the nursing homes and NIFED but the nursing homes went ahead and locked down which was probably for the best in the long term but it meant that an awful lot of residents didn't see families or loved ones for a very long time. Yeah, and that was a terrible, uh, I suppose, tragedy or tragic outcome of this uh, whole pandemic. Uh, however, I think uh, practically all nursing homes in the country, with the help of people in the community, community got um, you know the iPads and started doing much more online, on phone, and where possible. We had window visiting uh, from a very early stage. So while while they didn't, uh, they weren't physically in their company. We tried to look at all elements to to facilitate every possible and to redouble our efforts to ensure we had FaceTimes and we had Skypes and we had everything possible that way for those for whom it was uh, suitable and who wanted it. Some didn't at different times, and one has to respect that. Um, but it was very hard on families, yeah. uh, really. It was very, very, very difficult. And look, we didn't get it all right or do it all perfect at all at all. We were learning from others and trying to do our best. Uh, we were learning from families and responding there. We didn't always get the, get that right in terms of communication with them and everything. But we kept doing it and kept improving and responding to that. Um, and I think overall, uh, the residents were fairly, uh, I suppose, content in themselves. Mm. There was some residents, and we specialise in the care of dementia, persons with dementia, many of those we found were actually calmer and probably a bit more relaxed during it because there was less traffic, less noise, less yeah. interference in the normal day-to-day. So it affected people very differently. Yeah. Finally, Dermot, um, we're coming into the autumn and winter and suddenly the cases are on the up, particularly in Dublin. Cork doing very well still, relatively speaking, but would you be nervous of a second wave? Yeah, uh, we absolutely uh, would be quite nervous because we're caring for the most vulnerable people, uh, these people who've really built the country and should be our priority as a country. Um, and they are extremely vulnerable. So we know if we get, uh, <clears throat> if we leave in any any case near, near Oak Lodge, uh, you know, it could cost people lives, a uh, number of our residents their lives. So yeah, we're extremely nervous. We're still doing everything we can. We have outside visiting and very limited inside visiting, which we had throughout the whole pandemic. If anybody was at end of life or uh, extremely challenging health circumstances, we facilitated one-to-one and family visits with proper PPE. Um, but yeah, the winter and the second wave is is trying. We're looking at what can we do to, to I suppose, live or begin to, to live with this in a, in a new 
normal and to ensure that our residents are protected but our families are facilitated uh, with visits and that our staff are protected who, who are on the front line as well. So we, we continue to work with some of the experts uh, in UCC and elsewhere to to try and come up with new solutions to, okay. the, to the issues we have and, and uh, we're hopeful that we're, we're going in the right direction. Well, I wish you success with that and and, and, and good luck for the for the months ahead. That's Dermot O'Dolig from Oak Lodge Nursing Home in Cloyne and they will be featured on the documentary. Thanks, Dermot. They'll be featured tonight on that documentary on Virgin Media 1 at 10 o'clock where Zara King will be exploring the impact of the virus on life in Ireland and talking to scientists and medical professionals on the treatment of infected patients and looking also at the search for a vaccine. 1850 715 996. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. There's a great double bill coming up at the Kino on Washington Street when Cormac O'Queeve and Martin Leahy take to the stage for two shows coming up on Friday, September 25th. Tickets can be booked online at kinocork.com based on a table of two to five people. Access all areas. The multiple Juno award winning and Grammy-nominated artist Dead Mouse will perform live at the Marquee in 2021. The show will take place on Friday the 18th of June with tickets for this summer's show valid for the rescheduled date. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Cork's 96FM. Just thought I, I haven't done this in, in a week and a bit, but seeing as we're on the context of looking at what a second wave might bring and the concerns about a second wave, I just thought I'd look once again <clears throat> at the 14-day figures for Cork for COVID-19 where we are doing relatively well compared, particularly compared to Dublin but compared to many other parts of the country in fact there was a, a graph on the newspapers last week where we were third best in the country in terms of our management of this whether those figures are completely accurate is hard to know but they're the ones that come from the hub and we've been um, dealing with the hub since the start as sort of the accurate source. So the the last 14-day figure that I can calculate without adding in the weekend figures, which haven't been put into it yet, for the 14 days up to Friday, the 11th of September for Cork, the uh, 14 days up to that, we had 43 new cases in Cork. Go back a month to August, the 14 days up the 11th of August, we had 24 new cases. Go back again to July and we had 10 new cases in the fortnight leading up to the 11th of July. And go back into June when we were just bringing it under control with 51 cases up to the 11th of June. So we're, we're back at June levels now and the numbers are going up day by day. So let's hope we can keep it under some level of control in Cork and we'll be interested to know what is in this five point plan to be published tomorrow. There's lots of speculation in the newspapers, but until you see it written down in front of you, it's probably best to to wait for that. There was a protest at the weekend, a large protest in Dublin at the weekend. It was a kind of an anti-restriction, anti-mask 
protest. There was two of them actually. One started at Customs House Quay and marched to Orge Kildare Street. And there was a, a no, there was a counter demonstration on O'Connell Street. But the 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 anti mask, anti restriction protest gathered quite a number of people and made the news, made the evening news. And there was some photographs. It looked like quite a big crowd. And there was one um, woman, one activist, uh, anti, and on the, on the counter march was was attacked. Got a head injury. She she picture easy kamikaze. That's how she she tweets. Um, she was injured in a confrontation with these individuals. But it would be nice to get our hands on someone who was actually there. And I spoke last evening to Stephen Hatton, who was an eyewitness, and he told me what happened. Stephen, there was so much traffic on social media about this across the weekend and, and a lot of it inaccurate as to how many people were there, what the hell was going on, all of that. You came across it. You were an eyewitness. So tell us what happened. Um, well, it was Saturday afternoon, um, probably around uh, half two or three-ish. Um, I was walking on, on Dane Street, just passing Trinity College. Um, I heard a rising clamour coming from behind, um, and I turned to see um, quite a, a, a striking ocean of flags, um, a lot of Irish Republic flags, a lot of tricolours, um, and uh, disturbing enough a uh, uh, American flag with stars and stripes high, uh, flying nearly highest above them all um, and a, a horde of people kind of uh, walking in step um, led by um, a group of um, kind of white shirts, sunglass, sunglasses worn, um, black ties, kind of formal looking um, yeah. uh, leaders at the start of the procession. Um, what, what, what kind of things were they chanting? Um, I... I went up to, to see what the fuss was about and it was very much around um, uh, COVID-19 being a myth. Um, we had to take off our masks. That was a, an enduring chant. Um, take off your masks. Um, there was there were some signs within the crowd about um, vaccines uh, being dangerous. Um, there, was some, there was some sign about 5G. It was kind of a, a, a ragtaggle con- consort of um, conspiracies, anything that you can think of. Um, yeah. Primarily, it was anti-mask, anti-COVID chance. Yeah, um, yeah. trying trying to make out that it's all a hoax. Definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a kind of a, a, no social distancing, obviously, and um, I not a, a not a mask worn within the the body of the crowd, but a few kind of agitators around the. Mm. The margins with their face covered. I don't think it's because they were were trying to protect yeah. themselves or others from COVID. Um, just on a guess, how many people would you reckon were there? Sure. Yeah. It, it, it's um, at eye level, it was quite quite an impressive number. So I would say definitely more than more than eight hundred, nine hundred. In in my head, it was you know. I'm and were they there. young people, older people, all age groups? What was it? There were all age groups, not ordinary people, just wa- walking. There was, ch- there was children there holding their parents' hands. There were there was young people for sure. There was, um, you know, men, women, um, pensioners. Um, really, was quite an ordinary group of people. Now, one of the things that got to you, I think, Stephen, was that you're a doctor, uh, and in fact, mm. you were walking past Trinity, which is which where I think you studied medicine. Is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, graduated. So, how did you feel as a doctor watching this? 
it was very disappointing and very unsettling um, to see uh, ordinary people with with a real anger and a real frustration that was being channeled into this um, kind of fairy tale um, rhetoric, this kind of conspiracy rhetoric. They were being kind of whipped up into into um, you know a, a very loud, very aggressive form of protest. You know, I was I was certainly very intimidated um, by by demonstrating my disagreement with them, um, a very Irish sort of disagreement by giving them a, a thumbs down, kind of down with this sort of. Thing. Or did you go and speak to any of them? No, no. Um, well, no, quite a few spoke. Well, shouted at me rather than spoke to me. Um, it wasn't a, an accessible um, sort of crowd. I. I I kept quite a few, uh, quite a few meters between myself and then, and it, was, uh, it wasn't socially distanced. You know, it wasn't yeah. motivated by social distance. It was a, sc- it was a scary. Um, yeah, scene, would, would you have been, sure. would you have been frightened of them? Like, oh yes, I was approached by by three uh, different individuals very aggressively, um, kind of um, betraying my social distancing, coming into my personal space. One man actually, actually. Um, shouldered me and I'm sure he would have shoved me if I hadn't had sidestepped just at the last moment but he mm-hmm. still shouldered me out of the way um, and Why, I just was, because you didn't agree with them or something? Well, wearing my mask in front of the, the crowd I was, I was wearing yeah. a blue mask um, w- caused quite a stir actually at one, at one point there seemed to be quite a few uh, people maybe a hundred or more voices shouting at, and looking at me to take off my mask take off my mask um, it was yeah, it was it was quite intimidating yeah. for sure. And were you and were was, you alone? I was I was alone. I was just passing through the city. I had no agenda. I had, I had no organised counter protest. Yeah. Nobody. You know, you'd no one to to have your back, as it were. No, oh, certainly not. No, no, no. I had no. on my own for sure. No, not only are you a doctor, Stephen, but you also are one of the people who joined the call at the at the start of all of this, and you came home to Ireland to, to work right. with, with the HSE, and you've cared for people, you've you've watched, I presume, watched patients die. Um, and uh, how, yeah. how did all this make you feel? It, it, it's it's very difficult. Um, I have great sympathy for the ordinary people in that march, and um, because sadly, I know I know the way things are going. COVID will visit us all. Um, it, numbers are rising in Dublin and elsewhere in the country, it, it rising worldwide, and um, scores of people have died already. And these deaths are, are, are very, you know, it's not an easy way to go. Yes, many people do recover, and yes, sometimes it's milder than the common cold, for sure, the seasonal flu, but COVID is a very serious illness, and it, it's frustrating to see so many people that don't understand that and are swept up by someone else's agenda, some some rabble-rousers who are using this anger and frustration of the ordinary people to their own ends and stirring conspiracy. So I feel very powerless. You know, I, I'm going back to work tomorrow. I, I had uh, a brief respite this weekend, but um, I have to go in and watch more patients being query COVID, speaking to their family by phone, telling them, no, you can't visit. Like, we'll have to look after them. Please trust us. You know, yeah. it's very hard. Yeah, I'm sure it. I'm sure it is. Wouldn't you love to take a few of these characters and bring them in and show them what happens when you get really yeah. sick with this? I think really that's the way that you would change people's hearts and minds. Is kind of one on one. You take a member of that of that group and and you show them like really boots on the ground. This is what's happening. You know, this is what the, the all of the the the. Uh, debate and furore in the media has been about, you know, this is why you wear your mask, this is why we're respecting restrictions as a nation, because it's causing such an illness um, and it's overwhelming our health system. 
a lot of people are very frightened that we could end up where we were in March again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you well, think? Like, yeah. do, do you see it as a possibility, Stephen? Oh, definitely. If, if, if this narrative takes hold and people start to lose faith and we start to forget that the restrictions are looking out for one another, that we're all in this together, and if people lose sight of that common good, then we will very quickly go back. I mean, the, the virus, it, it's a virus. There's a reason going viral is used to yeah. describe things that spread quickly. It will be two weeks or four weeks from now that we will, we will realise how much ground we have lost, um, and really the virus doesn't need... Uh, you know, it doesn't need a big opportunity. It just needs small betrayals of these restrictions. That's an important point that you make because we look at figures that come out every day, but in actual fact, we should try to look two weeks ahead as yeah. to what the situation will be if this pattern continues. So, so you would have cause for worry, I think. I'm terrified. Yeah, absolutely terrified. Um, and yes, like young people across the country, uh, you probably won't suffer. But my my parents and grandparents are the ones I worry about. The the elderly patients, our nursing homes were decimated. You know, how can we turn our back on all of those people who 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 met an end far too early um, and completely? It is completely preventable if we do basic things. So I am I'm terrified that we will let this fire take hold once more um, and then lose that unity that we had back at the start of lockdown, the whole nation was united. We, we all saw the, the, the purpose of these sacrifices and we all bought into the idea of looking out for one another. Yeah. I feel like that's ebbing away slowly. Stephen, thank you for what you do uh, as, as a doctor to try to get us through this, you and all your colleagues. And, and thank you also for, for speaking to me on the Opinion Line. It's a pleasure, PJ. Thank you for your time. That's Dr. Stephen Hatton, who came across this protest in Dublin Saturday afternoon, spoke to him last evening. Kevin says, COVID is the latest thing this mob are clinging to. 5G, anti-vax, pro-Trump, anti-EU, pro-life is the oxymoron in the list. Social media has a lot to answer for in all of this. The misinformation being used to promote this guff is dangerous and needs exposing. There's actually a documentary, I'm, I'm halfway through it on Netflix to do with social media and how it has taken over our lives and how it is actually quite a frightening level of control that social media now exerts upon our lives. Hopefully maybe do more about it during the week but or tell you more about it during the week but I certainly would be recommending it. Now I'm only halfway through it um, but it certainly looks like, like a an important watch. Finbar says, Fiji, I've seen the stickers on the lampposts on Pope's Quay. They were marching for our freedom. If you don't want to be free from stuff, please don't give out about these brave heroes. I take it, Finbar, that your tongue is so far in your cheek, you're almost swallowing it, my friend. Anyway, let us move on. 1850-715-996. To someone I haven't spoken to in quite some time. Uh, but uh, we keep in contact on Twitter and she's occasionally a very welcome guest on the Opinion Line and that's Elbert Tooby. Elbert, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Lovely to talk to you again. Your, your, your blog post on June 30th, I think, brought it here to many and I. And it was the one about the, the, our last days together. And I'll come back to it. But you're involved now, I think, in something called Project Edward. What is that? Well, Project Edward um, is a road safety initiative that has been run across Europe um, since 2016. 
Um, it was European Day without a road death, but this year they're calling, they're going with every day without a road death. And it's being supported by Roadpal in Europe and on Gardaí here, where they're running um, a number of operations this week. Just to remind everyone about, you know, the dangers on our roads. Every day without a road death, that's what Ed- Edward stands for. That's right. Yeah. So how can we get involved, or can those, I suppose, those of us, every day we sit behind the wheel of a car, we can get involved? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, the, the usual, the wearing your seatbelt. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't worn mine. Yes. Switching off the damn phone um, and slowing down. You know, leave on time. There's no need to be... There's no need to be breaking the speed limit. And just because like, the speed limit might be 80, but the road mightn't be suitable for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not a target. Road. It's not yeah. a target, it's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a particular focus, I think, this year on people who drive, to, as I do every day, to work. On, the, on their work commute. Yes, yeah. And uh, I mean, I suppose, when you think about it, PJ, like the country has been going through a pandemic. We've had lockdown. We've had... Uh, people working from home, and yes, tragically, our road deaths are way up. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, it's kind of, it's like as if I even see it here at home. Do you know, the speed is definitely back with a bang, which is terrifying, really, because, yeah. like, uh, we all consider, and some of us know better than others, the reality of road death and the meaning of people being gone. Yeah. But the other side of it is. Um, with last December, I was uh, both with the RSA and on Garda Shikana when they launched the Christmas Road Safety Appeal in the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dunleary. And it really was the most, oh, heartbreaking. Mm. I mean, you may not die, but you could still lose your life, our life as we know it. Yes. You know, there were people there, there was a beautiful girl there who was a doctor. Um, practicing, and she was on 12-hour shift, was tired coming home, kept going home, fell asleep at the wheel, and had a massive head injury, and she will never again practice as a doctor. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And, of course, your, your own life turned upside down in a in a split second. Well, absolutely, yeah. Where you come home and come home alone. You know, and it's it's maddening when you see people taking chances because they don't think of you know, they don't think realistically about the effect they'll have on somebody else or on themselves or their parents or their siblings. You know, it's a, it's a community knock-on effect. Yeah. How are you these days, Albert? I'm good, thank God, yeah. I'm in college and studying and trying to be a tax consultant and very boring, really. But <laughs> <laughs> it floats my Someone mind. has to do it. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Keeps you occupied and floats and floats your boat, but I think that they're, they're with you all the time, aren't they? Well, the without lads. a doubt, yeah. I would say many of the morning, coming to me has kicked my bottom out of bed, and you know, given me like I've always had. I want to do this for them, and that, like and what my family and Connie's family and his friends and everybody went through. Um, you just love to think that if one person just thought more about the side effect of what, you know, uh, as a result of their actions, that the outcome could be. Do you know that if one person listening this morning, I don't mind if everybody else says she's bonkers, but if one person took it on board to be more conscious about the seatbelt, about the speed, about the phone. Yeah. 
you know, and of course drink driving. Yeah. yeah. Kate is just on here saying she lives in Carrigline. All the back roads are rated as 80. It's ridiculous to be, have them all rated as, a, as 80. And, and an awful lot of them driving at 80 and more on them. Yeah, that's but it's the problem. Like, people need to, you know, in fairness to the county councils, can't be going around, you know, changing road signs and whatever for people. I think you need to take a little bit of self-responsibility. Personal responsibility. You do, yeah, you do, really. It's not, I mean, it's, it's not a target. It's yeah. not a target, no. And I mean, it, you see it yourself on the motorway. There is a, a days that it's very appropriate to drive at 120, but there are wet and windy days that it's certainly not appropriate to drive at that speed. But you have to use a bit of cop on, for want of a better word, you know. And exactly. Albert, listen, always good to talk to you. And we'll ask people to remember Project Edward every day without a road. Every day a road, without a road. A road yes, particularly those who drive to work. And that's Absolutely. happening at the moment. Albert, listen, thank you very much. And continued success with the studies. <laughs> thank you, Peter. Take care. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Uh, Terry Lingwood, you're an evil man. <laughs> Terry's just tweeted a Photoshop of Ed Sheeran and Daniel O'Donnell, kind of their love child, if you like. Um, <laughs> after I mentioned that Daniel's done a version of the Ed Sheeran song, you're a bad man, Terry. It's good, though. 1850 is the number of the text or WhatsApp 083. 396 9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up, if you happen to know that young lad who busks on a violin down Patrick Street from time to time, we've someone looking for him, looking to find out who he is for a particular reason. I also have a lovely story uh, to read out to you this hour of just genuine, honest to God kindness. And it's, it's a lovely story. That's to come. But first of all, it was inevitable, it would happen. Uh, We've all been sort of working remotely in some way, shape or form since this pandemic kicked in in the middle of March. Like we finish here, I finish here at one o'clock and I I head, or 12 o'clock rather, I head away home and I finish the rest of my day at home and we do an awful lot of stuff at home that we would normally come in for. Lots of people in this building haven't been in the building since March. They're all working from home, working remotely, and and that is the thing, and it's going to be the thing for a very long time. And if you've done it before, you kind of fell back into it again. I worked pretty much remotely for five or six years, so it wasn't really a big thing to me to bring some of the days of work home. But for some people, it was a huge shift for them and a huge change in the approach, and it's going to be with us for a while because a lot of offices just won't bring people back in while there's any danger of COVID being there. But... There's a book, as I told you, has come out, and Neve Brady has written the book. It's called Remote Working Essentials. It's a Kindle e-book that you can download and read on your iPad or your Kindle or any other uh, tablet that you have. Just about managing your time and, and getting the job done to the best of your ability at home. Neve, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are uh, you? Good. How long have you worked uh, remotely? So I've been working remotely between one day a week and full time since about 2007. So a bit like yourself, I've done it all, um, you know, from one day a week to one day a month to full time. Yeah. Um, 
So obviously, to your to your point, what you said, uh, remote working is going to be with us for a while now, and um, for some people, it comes easier than others. So, really, the book was just to bring all of my own experience together and the experience I've learned from others to try and help as many people as possible, right? Just kind of find that routine and find that balance. As a lot of people discovered quickly, there's a hell of a lot more to it than just labbing the laptop up on the kitchen table. Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. And like I always say that if you work from home, um, it gives the workaholic the perfect place to hide. Um, because there's no reason to, to leave work as well. Um, and then, of course, you've got the other people who, when they're working from home, they don't even know how to start the day. So yeah. you, you could be at either end of the spectrum. And uh, there is so much more than just having the equipment. There's the, there's the routine, there's the structure, and there's dealing with all of those distractions, right, um, that we've all become so used to over the last number of months. One thing that I noticed people working from home that I know is that they have this I won't say it's an inability but they kind of they won't stop working at five o'clock if they were in the office the office would be closing and they'd be going home but they'll keep working on the document or a presentation and before they know it it's 20 past seven and they've had no dinner and and they're knackered tired and they've got to start again at nine o'clock in the morning you really have to discipline yourself yeah, and actually, PJ, that's one of the reasons I got into productivity coaching um, in the first place a few years back, um, because I was given, I suppose, a laptop straight away in my first job out of college, uh, so I could bring my work home, and uh, nobody gave me any advice on how to manage my time or my effort or how to switch off. Um, so I ended up burning myself out twice before I hit 30, you know. Um, and the concern is, uh, as you said, that with so many people who work from home now that they just don't have those rituals, they don't have that signal to mm. switch off at five. And even if they close the laptop, it's still there on the kitchen table. It's just tempting them to go back. Mm. You know, will I just do one little bit? Will I just do another half an hour? And then, of course, that disrupts your sleep. It's, I'll it's get that report written. I'll finish that file. I'll no, do, do it, it tomorrow. Now. Do it tomorrow. Yeah. And the thing is, the to-do list is always going to be there. And the more you're, you strike off it, the more that's going to go on it. Do you know what I mean? So, like, in the book, I focus a lot on um, really kind of looking after your well-being while getting the job done, you know. So, like, on that, I kind of always ask people to look at the outcomes that they need to achieve in the day. So, for example, today I need to do four things. Well, if you've done the four things, finish your day. Task-based working. Yeah, or results-based working. Do you know what I mean? So it's not to do with the amount of time that you spend at at your machine. It's to do with the results that you're you're doing because I do think as well that managers have a role to play, like to send around the, the email around 10 to 5 to say, hey guys, you know, this is a really important thing today. Well done. I'm logging off soon. Chat tomorrow. And yeah. give that signal to the team and to help, uh, especially younger people or people who wouldn't have worked remotely before, to help them kind of say, oh, oh, it's time to finish work. Okay. You know? <laughs> what can be difficult too, I guess, is trying to work from home and manage a couple of kids coming and going as well. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, like I have a 15 month old um, downstairs actually, uh, although I'm not writing to her today, thankfully, I've helped, but, um, and I work full time as well as coaching, so I, I I do relate to the struggles of that. And what the reason we bought out the book at this time, PJ, was of course, childcare, thank God, and schools are just kind of coming back in now, you know. Um, and for all those parents who've been just 
doing whatever they can do to get the day done for the last few months. Maybe now is the time for them to sit back and go, right, what yeah. habits could I create now for myself? What one or two things could I do differently myself today yeah. to make my work from home day a bit better now that I finally have a little bit of space to think. Yeah. There's a cabin you know? fever element that creeps into, isn't there? Massive. And I'm worried about people coming into the winter and the day is getting shorter and people potentially spending, you know, all of their time at home. And so like one of the things I'd always recommend is um, if you live close to a colleague, you know, like within 10, 15 minutes drive now or something, catch up with them every week or two for a lunch walk, you know, just get out of the house. Mm. Um, Or if you you live close to a shop get out and go over and buy whatever you need to buy in the middle of the day like literally just leave leave the space leave your house Um, and I'd always say as well like one thing that we miss when we're working from home um, is the the decompression owner driving back in the car or getting the bus back at the end of the day and you kind of you know, you kind of leave the day behind you, the work day behind you. We don't have that at home. So it's all about creating your own routine at the end of the day. Personally, I find having a quick shower and washing the day off and changing out of my work clothes is brilliant. Really? You know, because it just puts a boundary between yeah. your work day and, and the rest of your house and trying to get out of the house to, to tackle that cabin fever, as you said, PJ, yeah. you know. I, I, I was laughing over the weekend. I was talking to some people that I know who are working from home and one of them is going back into the office two days a week. Yeah. And he's wondering, can he still get into the suit? Because he's been in his pajamas <laughs> for the last six months. Yeah, well, <laughs> Which, um... it's funny, but it's not at the same time. It's not. No, no, the book doesn't cover the suit, right? <laughs> or, you know, what you should be eating from home because that's kind of, you know, outside my area of expertise. But, yeah. um, like no, but in terms of mo- motivation to do the job. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, motivation to do the job. But what they'll find is, and, and what I, one of the recommendations in the book is, if you're talking to your friend, tell him to make a list of the things he's been doing working from home lately and ask himself, well, what would have been easier to do if I was in the office, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then when he goes into the office for his two days, he can do that work. And then the work he finds he does better at home. He does that on the days. He's at home. And just kind of scheduling scheduling your week to kind of suit where you are. Um, because I think a lot of people will end up going back in two or three days a week. Um, in fact, I think uh, the majority of people, so 78% want to continue working from home remotely, but only 12% want it full time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So most people do want that Mixed. I, think you, I think you miss your colleagues too if you're out oh, for you do. Yeah. You do. You miss the chats. Um, you miss the side conversations. You miss the cup of coffee. You yeah. know? Um, and that social interaction is so important. But while you're working from home, there's other things that you can do still. As I said, meet the friend for a walking lunch or, you know, get out to the shop and talk to somebody who's outside of your household. You know, just do those small things. Pick up the phone to somebody, you know, mm. um, and have a chat um, rather than relying all the time on email. Um, and just kind of looking after that side of yourself, the social side. So the book is available as a download, Neve. Yeah, so I I made it available on Kindle because, um, well, it, it'll be basically wherever people are working. Um, so if you are, if you have a Kindle, you can read it on that. If you don't have a Kindle, you can read it on an app on your phone or your tablet. Or what I love to do is I use the web browser, so you can just open the tab. Amazon.com and you can read it on that. Right. So then while you're working from home, you can just kind of skip through to the tips and tricks, you know, whatever you want to do and it's right there in front of you. Okay. Um, it's nice and easy. 
Well, I best, hope, anyway. The, the very best of luck with it, Niamh. Because um, uh, there's a lot of people going to be taking taking um, advice from it, I think, over the next while. Yeah, and look, I just think the main thing to leave people with PJ, if, if it was to take one thing away, would be when you're working from home, you really have to look after your well-being. It's not about how many hours you sit in front of your machine. Um, it's nearly the time away from your machine is nearly more important and it's what's going to actually help you to get your job done. Yeah. So just make sure to take the breaks, to log off from work and, uh, you know, as you said, to kind of make, make contact with others as well. There's a message in this finally too, Neil, for the boss, I think, in that, you know, don't assume that because Tom or Mary are at home that they're at the kitchen table and you can pile a, a load more work on them. Don't take oh. advantage of someone who's at home. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, for the managers out there, I have plenty of manager tips inside in the book to make sure that you're supporting your team as you work from home and not kind of creating that additional burden because that's so important. Yeah. So important. Yeah. I, I love yeah. the one about task-based working or, you know, get be there at nine o'clock in the morning with six things to do. And if you yeah. can get those six things done by two o'clock, happy days. You're done. You're Happy done. days. Exactly. You know, please, just to throw one more thing at you. Do you know research has shown, right, that people in the office environment do um, the task work, that kind of work, for about three hours of the day. Because the rest of the time is meetings or going for a coffee with somebody yeah. or checking their email or doing all those other things. So why would you feel the need then to work 12 hours a day at home? There's no need for it. Outcome based. And um, there's a link in the book to a load of templates I put up on my website that people can just download and use the templates then to try and do the work that way, the task-based work. So great. they can use the templates to help them as well. Great. Yeah. great. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a great way to work. Uh, thanks very much, Neve, Neve Brady, uh, author of the new book called Remote Working Essentials. You get it on Kindle, on Amazon. You can download it you know, yourself the digital way. It'll cost you six fifty. Uh, good luck with it, uh, Neve. And thank you. Eighteen fifty. 715996 a lot of people absolutely hate working at home they really really hate working at home but that, I, I, you won't get too many bosses or if you have a boss that is good with the task based element it's great you've got six things to do maybe seven and if you can get them done by two o'clock happy days if something important comes in you do that too but you know yourself back to the anti-mask march we're talking to Stephen who came across that march in Dublin on Saturday. And Jess says, Hi PJ, yes, this is a democracy. Like it or not, we at least see a variety of opinions, which is healthy in itself, just to be able to see demonstrators unlike in China and other restrictive zones. But it does make me wonder, considering how we all held together in this at the start of the outbreak, as to why then has our government not multiplied the I presume the ICUs, not the ECUs. Why did professionals who would have had all the info on the seriousness of COVID see it as okay to mingle up at Golfgate? Well, there's the great question, Jess. There's the Golfgate actually gave an opening to this kind of thing. That was the biggest course of Golfgate. The questions are endless and our patience is limited. Thank you, says Jess in Cork. Uh, Aidan says, hi PJ, I'll tell you one thing that really pisses me off. People going to Dublin to protest for whatever they are protesting and using their free travel pass to get there. And away they go. The few I know would not go if they had to pay. 1850 Had a message. I'm just going to do this one here now, D. If I don't, I'll forget it. We had a message over the weekend from Natasha 
Natasha Butler got in touch with us and said, I was wondering if you could ask your listeners if anyone has the contact number for the young boy who busks now and then in Cork City. His mom is usually with him watching. He's a teenager, young teenager, who plays contemporary music on an electric violin. And he's amazing. I've been looking for him to contact him about playing my wedding next year. Nobody seems to have a number or even a name for him. I'd really appreciate your help. He's down there near Duns, between Duns and Shoe, on Patterson, where I've seen him. Well, Natasha, the best thing is walk up and stop him and ask him his name and stuff. But if anyone knows who he is and can help you to get in touch with him, they can let us know. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 3 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. We haven't done a, an old Google search in a long time. We used to call them that, the Google searches a long time ago. We haven't found... We, we, if we can find that lad and find out who he is, if you know him, let us know. We'll see if we can put you in touch with them, um, with Natasha. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. September is Sepsis Awareness Month. We have spoken on the program a number of times over the years about sepsis and about the horrible, horrible way that sepsis can destroy a person's life and destroy their body. And many people die from sepsis. And one of the people who did earlier this year was Tracy Corcoran. She was only 37 when she died uh, back in June. And uh, James, uh, James is her brother. James, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. And my condolences on the last because it must still be very, very painful. She was only 37. Yeah, she was very young. We're still kind of at a loss with it. Like, we're still dealing with it. How the family, like, we're heartbroken. Yeah. It's very devastating for any family. Yeah. What kind of what kind of a person was she? Well, first of all, as my sister, for me, Trace, or me, Sinead and Thomas, she's very protective of us. She'd always look out for us. But as a partner to Willie, she was great. Most importantly, though, for the kids, she would literally do anything for them. She would go to the ends of the earth for them. She was always involved in all the activities they'd done hurling, football, dancing. She was always seen at all of those functions. Like she was involved with any dinners as well. Like so she was very caring, yeah. considerate of everyone. Like so when it happened, like a lot of people were texting me, I was inundated, like and just seeing all those messages filtering through phone calls, everything. It was it was amazing to see how many people she touched, like so yeah. it was really a lot of people like texting all the family, like, so it was really nice to see, like, so that's the reason why I got in touch, like, to raise the awareness about that. And what, what happened, James? When did she first get sick? Like, with my sister, um, she suffered from a rare form of arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. So she was in hospital for two hip surgeries and two knee surgeries. So she had a very high pain threshold, like, so, um, on the Friday we were with each other and she was okay and then on the Saturday she rang my mother in terrible pain like she was actually crying with pain so my mother was then like something must be com- coming up here you know because we, we've never seen her bad like that because like even my own experience going up for her second hip operation like she was up out of the bed after about a half an hour and I was going like 
that's nearly unseen, like, you know, for, for that, for that, for yeah. someone to be coming out like that, like, so my mother raised the alarm, like, she got in contact with South Dock and they wanted to know what was going on. We were informed that it's, it, it, it's gastro, she should be okay, but there was no signs of improvement, like, during the night on the Sunday, so we got in touch with the hospital, so we had to go up then after that. Yeah. And what, when, when was that now? I know she passed away on the 20th of June. When was that? When? So that would have been on, it all started on the 23rd of the 5th of May. So by yeah. the 25th of May, she was admitted to A&E. And yeah. on the 27th of May, she was on life support. Crikey. So it, it all happened really quick. Like So it was really a roller coaster of emotions. Like and had you, had you ever heard of sepsis? Like, Did you have any concept of what it was? No. I, I never heard of it in my life. I, I was there, like, I was unsure of what it was when the doctors were informing us, like, and I'd done my research up online, like, um, on liberal.ie, like, only 28% of the Irish population actually know of sepsis, like, and I was definitely one of the people that didn't know, like, so the whole point of this fundraiser now is to basically make people aware, like, and if I have one life down the road, then I'd be yeah. very happy with that. Like when the doctors gave you the diagnosis, what, what did you think? Did you think, well, maybe she'd be okay, this won't be a bad case, whatever? Yeah, like, with, with Tracy, like, she embodied, like, warrior spirit, like, you know, in some cases, like, with sepsis, it, it could take a few days, like, but with her, like, she kept battling, like, so our emotions were kind of like a yo-yo, they were up and down, like, you know, we could have been, it could have been coming out of it, okay, but then there was also signs like that she might come out of it, like, so. Did she show any yeah. sign at any stage that she might be able to rally? Yeah, there, there was there was one or two occasions, like, you know, we, we had the phone calls with the nurses, like, and she had a good night, a second good night, so we were kind of going, like, she might be turning a corner here, please God, like, but unfortunately it, yeah. it wasn't to be, like... And were you able to, I'm sure you weren't able to see her because of the whole COVID thing, no? No, that's what made it even harder for us as a family. Like, you know, you're just sitting by the phone waiting for a phone call off the nurse like that. We can't go up, like, can't go up to a hospital, like, and then you have government officials, like, with the golf gate, like, made it even tougher when we saw that, like, so... It, it was really hard, like, you know, that I'm sure, like, a lot of people that are dealing with grief, like, you know, felt very upset and painful by those kind of things. Absolutely. Like, where they're going, like, we can't even go up to say goodbye to our loved ones, like, you know. It's very, were you, very not, were you not able to be with her at the end, even, James? We we were, for for a few minutes, we were allowed, like, but obviously every precaution by the hospital was taken, like, you know, very you know, all washing your hands and make sure wearing your mask and all that, like, but as I said, like, you know, when somebody's going through that, like, you'd like to have your family by your side, like, you know, that might just give you a little extra push, like, you know, if you, if you could see them, like, you know, but obviously with COVID, like, we, we understand, like, you, you couldn't, like. Yeah, that must make it extra heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 So, what motivated you to, to fundraise? So um, I actually done a fundraiser back in April for Pieta House and um, I received a letter as a thank you and they were telling me about World National Suicide Prevention Day and I, I piqued my curiosity. I was like, is there anything being done for sepsis? And I checked up online and it so happened to be September was coming up and I had that it was um, World Sepsis Month. So then I was there like, I want to raise as much awareness as I possibly can because like, 
for any family to be going through this like is very heartbreaking like so if that stops something for some other family then I'll be very happy that this wasn't in vain or anything like that so that what, is, what is you planning to do yeah so we're going to do um, a hike on Cairn Pool so um, I was originally going to do uh, maybe a bungee jump or a parachute out of, out of a plane, but I knew how many people she touched, so I got in contact with family members, friends, and so on and so forth. Like, so you had a lot of people that wanted to get involved. Like, so um, Saturday week on the twenty sixth, we're going to do a hike of thirty of us to raise funds for Sepsis Trust, but also for the kids for educational purposes that will be relinquished to them. Where, you, where are you going? To do the hike in current to the highest mountain in Ireland right okay and I think you've about 30 people involved at this stage yeah about that like and if anybody wants to get involved with it they're more than welcome like as I said like the most important thing to do is raise awareness for ourselves now yeah. as well I'm doing my research and I I, I stand corrected if somebody can but I haven't found any actually Irish charities that do for sepsis now I know there's an Irish family based in New York and the Roy Stanton Foundation mm-hmm. he was a kid that passed away when he was only 12 years of age but on, upon my research I actually haven't seen any sepsis foundations or anything like that so that might be something I, I might look into myself down the line yeah yeah um so look, can people? There's a GoFundMe page, I know. Yeah, yeah. There's a GoFundMe page. It's on my Facebook page. There, if people want to donate. Obviously, the most important thing is to raise awareness about sepsis. But as I said, we'll be putting it in aid of sepsis trust and towards the kids when they turn eighteen. Very good. I've got a. I've got the page open here in front of me now. It's a lovely family photograph there. And it's got seven thousand four hundred euro in the bucket at the moment, and you'd hope to yeah. get you'd hope to get higher than that. Yeah. I'm I'm truly blown away. Like I just want to thank everyone that actually donated to it. Like because I had originally just set a goal of a thousand euro, oh, and within then. within two hours it was it was smashed. Like I was just like blown away by the kindness of the Cork people. Like so, yeah. from the bottom of my heart, from myself. The Cocker family and the O'Reilly family, we can't thank you enough, honestly. It is truly, truly, I'm very thankful for it. Like, Well, you know what, mate? It's not over yet. There's a lot of there's a lot of time between now and your fundraiser and the great effort you're doing on the 26th. So there'll be a few more Bob put in there, I've no doubt about it. Yeah, all, I, all I'd ask the listeners of Cork, like, is to, there's a video on YouTube saying, what is sepsis so if people could just get informed about that that would even be greater as well like so as I said the most important thing is to raise awareness yeah I think I did speak actually to that um, at that family in Dublin before that he is reminding me here we did a, a few days on sepsis a year or two ago and yeah. some of the stories that we heard of, of how it just completely takes over a person's body is terrifying absolutely terrifying yeah all right, look, again, James, uh, my condolences to, to you and to all of the family. All of the family. And uh, good luck with the fundraiser when it comes around. That's James Corcoran, the Tracy Corcoran Foundation is, is the fundraiser. Um, Tracy died back in June of sepsis. And again, another tragedy made ten times worse by the fact that no one could be with her or only for very brief moments could they be with her at the end and they couldn't go to see her 
while she was suffering and all that. That's just terrible, terrible, sad story. But 26th of September, they're going up Karen Tool, the Tracy Corcoran Foundation. You'll find the page on GoFundMe. Uh, if you want to help out with that. 1850-715-996. For 20 minutes of the best music mix. And everything Cork. On Cork's 96FM. Check out new music all this week from the likes of Joel Corey and Cork band True Tides. We hear from the stars. Here's Gaga. I love you. Stay safe. And I might sound like a broken record, but wear a mask. Did you know Ed Sheeran? Not a big fan of TV. You know, I'm not a big TV watcher. I kind of like, if it's on, I watch it. On air, online, and on your smart speaker. And Tobin. Weekdays from midday. With the White Rabbit Bar and Barbecue. A brand new look with the same great food and service. See whiterabbit.ie. Quartz 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, a lot of people calling into well, what is sepsis, and I probably should have um, discussed that in a bit more detail with, with, uh, with James, but it's an extreme response to an infection. Uh, and it is actually a life-threatening medical emergency when when it's an infection that you already have in your body and triggers a chain reaction. And it literally can lead to massive tissue damage, organ failure. You can die in hours, let alone days or weeks. Sepsis itself is is not contagious at all, but it's a complication of something that you picked up. Like, for example, people have gotten COVID-19 and then gotten sepsis afterwards. It's a very, very dangerous infection. Uh, you'd have had low blood pressure as a symptom, confusion, extreme pain, fever, shortness of breath. You just feel rotten. And as, as he pointed out there, because of all the things that she'd been through in her life, all the things that uh, Tracy had been through, she had a very high pain threshold, which means that for her to complain of being in pain was very unusual. Uh, Tracy Corcoran had a very high pay, pain threshold, so when she was complaining of being in a lot of pain, that was the alarm sign, but they had no idea what sepsis was, they had no idea how to deal with it, and it just took her over and just killed her, as it can do within days or weeks. It's a terrible thing, but Sepsis Awareness Month is the month of September. Can I just do a nice little happy story before I move on? Uh, I got this this morning from Laura Carey Kiley and delighted to share it because this is kindness in the extreme. So I have a little happy story to tell you about a boy and his dog, she says. Last night, Rico was knocked down. It was an accident. We brought him to Gilabi Vets in Toker. This morning, we were told that to put Rico right would cost two and a half thousand euro for the operation. As you can imagine, I don't have that kind of money. I was heartbroken that we might have to put him down. How was I going to tell Stephen, my son, that his best friend was gone to doggy heaven? Bear in mind, this dog was my son's absolute best friend. Rico came into baby Stephen's life when my son was so sick and was having seizures from meningitis. Rico helped to nurse him back to health. He sleeps with Stephen. He does everything with him. 
It really was a dog as a man's best friend. I couldn't stop crying. So Timothy Ted Daly made a few phone calls. And it turned out that the vet, Sarah McCarthy, rang back to say she understood how close Stephen was to Rico and she would do the operation free of charge. Wow. Would you believe that? I still can't believe the generosity and how someone we don't even know was willing to do that. I can't thank her enough. Just goes to show there's great people in the world. We'd be forever grateful. And Rico is now in recovery and doing well. So the story of a little boy and his dog continues. And it's all down to the vet, Sarah McCarthy in Gillabby Vets. And if we could do an award for the decent person of the day, I think it would be going to Sarah in Gillabby Vets. Next one. 1850 We've talked on the programme before about a man called Frederick Douglas, with two S's, and that's important. Um, but Dr. Donal Hassett is now trying to have Frederick Douglas remembered in a very specific way to have a street named after him in Cork. Now, there already is a Douglas Street, but it's got nothing to do with Frederick Douglas. But let's start at the start. Uh, Donald Hassett, good morning to you. Good morning, Pete. Lovely to talk to you. Remind listeners again, who was Frederick Douglas and why is he important to Cork? So Frederick Douglas was uh, born into slavery in the state of Maryland in, in America. And he managed to escape from slavery, flee up to the north of America, um, where he became a very prominent uh, abolitionist, so somebody who spoke out against slavery. And he wrote a really famous autobiography that told the story of, of his life in slavery. So in 1845, so 175 years ago, um, this month, in fact, he, he travelled to Ireland and he travelled around Ireland speaking uh, against slavery and meeting with prominent Irish political figures, including Daniel O'Connell. So he came to Cork in October 1845 and he spoke, uh, he stayed there for three weeks and he spoke at various venues across the city against slavery. And there were quite a lot of people in Cork at the time who were abolitionists as well. So he was part of this movement um, against slavery. So he's part of the history of this city. Mm. He is mentioned in dispatches around the Imperial Hotel, isn't he? Yes, so there there is a plaque inside the Imperial Hotel because one of the venues he spoke at was the Imperial Hotel. So he's remembered within within the private space of the hotel, but he's not kind of remembered in the public space of the city. Yeah. Now, is it a street that you want named after him specifically? So one is we want to kind of get a public space dedicated to him. Uh, and we're not really interested in, say, replace some of the history of course, necessarily. Um, we thought it would be nice to add a list. So the, the spaces we've looked at are, are generally spaces that don't already have names yeah. or that they have names that um, are repeated in the city because there are quite a few areas, you know, streets or parks that have the same name as another street or another park. Uh, so we're very much interested in kind of finding a space that is, you know, without removing another layer of Cork's history. Yeah. Now, I, I know the Green Party are hel- are helping you with this. Yeah, so the Green Party have agreed to put a motion forward to Council. Um, so that will be debated at the City Council, and I'm really grateful for their help with this. But there are other councillors and parties as well have expressed support for this. So I think this is going to be kind of across the board uh, with all the political parties. Okay, and ju- it's a public space of some kind. It could be a street, could be a square, could be a round, whatever. 
Exactly. So just some sort of symbol uh, in, in the public space that represents Douglas. And this is part of a, a broader commission that's happening for the 175th anniversary. So you can check out our website called douglasincork.com and you'll see that we're going to have a lot of creative commemorative events you know, involving local um, artists and activists. And there are plans also for a documentary uh, involving some, some um, prominent figures from Hollywood as well. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, we'll see how the motion goes at council, and uh, we'll see what what happens in the near today. I mean, it's not it's uh, it's something you might like to get done by the end of the year, given the the anniversary. Yeah, hopefully. So, so we're planning events in February of next year, and you know, coronavirus aside, we're hoping to bring over some of his descendants uh, to Cork uh, as part of a kind of a broader Douglas in Ireland. Um, commemorative event so it would be lovely if we at least had a commitment um, to make this change before then I would love if you know a member of Douglas's family could come and maybe inaugurate something or at least you know So he has living descendants has he? Yeah he has living descendants who are involved in in the ongoing projects um, here in Cork so that's quite exciting Excellent. Rita was on to say that UCC had a bust of Frederick Douglas years ago and when she asked about it, she said it was kept in a closet. So there was a, a bust, as far as I know, this is before my time in UCC, there was a bust commissioned um, by UCC, but uh, the initial kind of mock-up stage, so the actual final bust was never was never finished. I see. No, someone, the, the rumour going around, according to Rita, was that they, they hid it away after Donald Trump was elected, but, but <laughs> <laughs> it was never actually finished. That's as far as I know. So I think that the bust that, that Rita would be talking about would be kind of the mock-up, the model, before the final bust was finished. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll follow this one with interest because I remember reading a, a, not a book, but a just pamphlet about Frederick Douglass. I think it was during one of the Mother Jones festivals yeah. a number of years back. He came up in, in conversation there and his story is, is a fascinating one. And it's interesting to see that he, he has living descendants. It wouldn't be great to get one of them to Cork for an event or to and yeah, anything like that. Yeah, that's the plan. So we, we really hope um, we'll be successful in that. And we've had support, you know, the Irish Embassy in in Washington has been looking this year about because it's a really kind of interesting story. And obviously in the context of the big discussions going on at the moment about you know race, Black Lives Matter, etc. Yeah. Um, and of course, Douglas was connected to Daniel O'Connell, who was such an important um, figure in our history. It all it all ties in. Listen, thanks. Good luck to you with the with the campaign, and we'll talk again. I've no doubt that's Doctor Donna Hassett looking to commemorate Frederick Douglass with two S's, maybe a street, maybe a square, maybe a roundabout, some kind of a public space where we would remember this man who spoke against slavery. He spoke for the abolition of slavery, and 175 years ago, he came to Cork as part of uh, a lecture tour and met in the uh, Imperial Hotel and now the council would be asked to find a public place to name after this man. Frank says it would be more important to name a place after our own slavery. Maybe call it Magdalen Place. Well, you see, Frank, Frederick Douglass campaigned for the abolition of all slavery. Magdalen included. Dave was, Dave was asking why guards don't have to wear masks while they're in their cars so you don't have to wear a mask driving your car either, Dave. That would be a bit daft, wouldn't it? 
you don't have they don't they don't have to wear masks driving their cars. Anyway, two different things. We mentioned at the very top of the program that there are meetings taking place uh, today and probably tomorrow at the airport to find out the future of the airport because it has been decimated by COVID-19 and services are banjaxed by COVID-19. And one of the people up there today is the chief executive of Ryanair because there are many rumours surrounding their operations at Cork Airport. And our Fiona and other reporters caught up with Eddie Wilson just in the last half an hour or so. So I said we'd play out today by letting you know what the chief executive of Ryanair has had to say this morning about the future of Cork Airport. Well, I think the government are meeting today and uh, they missed the boat on uh, July 1st by taking a different course from the rest of the European Union. And we would hope that they would adopt the European Union's uh, uh, rules on uh, movement of people and air travel and uh, public health. Uh, there's no reason for it to be different. And unfortunately, that's going to have, if they if they um, don't adopt that today, it's going to be very bad news for Cork and uh, in terms of the closure of the base. And the UK has got to be included on that. It's about 50% of what we do here. We're flying aircraft empty at the moment. There are no bookings for uh, November. Uh, and I can't get across the seriousness of, of, of what this is. If, if, if these flights go, uh, it's going to be very difficult to bring them back. To be honest with you, like... Um, I have rarely seen the airline industry uh, speak as one um, and uh, I think sometimes the island mentality that we have uh, at the moment doesn't uh, serve as well in terms of what's potentially coming to an island economy. Uh, traffic is back to the early 1990s at the moment. The rest of Europe is uh, setting themselves up, uh, investing in their airports, subsidising their airports to attract traffic and uh, the government here have done nothing. With, uh, they have an aviation task force since the 7th of July, and they've done nothing since then. And they haven't added countries to the green list that have half the rate here in Ireland. We are sleepwalking into oblivion here. Today, we have um, we have 80 direct jobs here in Cork. You have um, up to 12,000 indirect jobs. But what we are making decisions, we should be making decisions weeks ago on what next summer is going to be like. If the aircraft go this winter, and we don't make our plans for next summer, then there is nobody coming here. Unless they come here by canoe, um, there's no way of getting to Ireland and to this part of the country except by air, and there will be nobody in the hotels, and the tourism industry here is going to be in collapse next summer. And this government needs to do what other European governments are doing, which are saying, we're going to come out of this crisis, we're going to have to live with it, but we need decisions, and we need them today. And I can't underestimate... Um, the gravity of the situation. If the UK is not included on that list, then that is going to be uh, terminal, I think, here for, for our operation at Cork. Ireland accounts for about 8% of our total business. And we're already talking to governments across Europe about how they're going to uh, stimulate traffic for next summer. And there's no plan here at the moment. No plan from government at all. Uh, they need to get their track and trade system up, uh, up and running. Uh, they need, like, the airports have no income. They need to do something on airport charges to, um, even when they get rid of the green list. But the important thing today is, when has Ireland ever deviated from European policy? I can't think of any other precedent for that. There is already a system there from the European Centre for Disease Control, and we should adopt that. And there is no reason to do anything different. We are setting ourselves uh, away from the rest of Europe. There's no other way of getting here. 
we're the people that depend on aviation in this country. And I don't think that, that the government recognises that an essential part of the infrastructure of this, com- of this country is owned by two private companies, ourselves and Aer Lingus. And at the moment they're saying, we don't want your business. And if that's the case, we will take those resources elsewhere. But I think it would be tragic uh, for Ireland and for Cork here in particular. It's very frustrating when you can meet ministers uh, from all over Europe and in your home country you can't get a meeting. And that we have an aviation uh, report sitting on the minister's desk since the 7th of July that has all the answers for what we want. Um, Not just Ryanair, but the airport here and all the other airlines. And we have had nothing for the summer. And all that has happened during the summer is that... um, they have said to the Irish people, it'll be fine. It's all in, in other countries, and it's not. I mean, we know what the problems are now. The problems were initially in, in the meat plants, and we still haven't sorted that problem out with testing. And now it's in private homes. You know, travel, as I've said before, is not the bogeyman. Um, and we are legislating ourselves out of existence here on an island nation. Like, what do we know here? What does the government here, or NEFIT, know that the European Centre for Disease Control doesn't know? They are, the, they are the experts at European level by the European Commission and the European uh, Aviation Safety Agency. They've done this since the 1st of July. There's now a second chance today for the government to do something. Um, and if they don't open up in the way uh, against the, uh, as they have done in Europe, which is you will have a gradiated way of looking at green and red list countries um, and, and backed up by comprehensive track and tracing. But in an effort um, not to do anything or to invest in track and tracing, the aviation industry and all the jobs that go with it are going to go from a European point of view. For, so because in their efforts to uh, grade countries as green, orange or red, um, it is a combination of two factors. It is the infection rate and it's the testing rate. Um, and testing rates have to be above uh, 250 uh, tests per 100,000 of population. And I don't think we're at that at the moment. Um, and we need to get that in place. And let's stop looking at travel as the bogeyman. This isn't like we're now, we're out of the holiday season. This is about business, connectivity and next summer's bookings. OK, I'm going to leave it there because there's a little bit more to it. But uh, Eddie Wilson, the Chief Executive of Ryanair, speaking at Cork Airport this morning. No doubt more about that in the news bulletins during the afternoon. And I expect that we'll be discussing the future of Cork Airport and many other things when we're back in the morning just after nine.